the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top 5 MMA Walkouts. Special guest Jordan Killian. And yours truly. Strap in. Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer for MixedMartialAnalyst.com, and today is a special top five that I have been waiting to get to. It's the top five MMA walkouts, and for a special top five, I gotta have one of my favorite special guests back on. That's right, pound for pound podcast host, the A-side, sorry Sam Alvey, we got Jordan Killian in the house. What's up, Jordan? What up, brother? Suck it, Sam. <laughs> That's a good way to get started, baby. That's a good way to get started. It's going to be a fun episode. Uh, if, you, if you've been listening to this podcast before, then you know you, you know Jordan. Hopefully you're listening to his podcast, and that's how you found this one. Either way, we're here now. That's all that matters. And before we get to the top five, we are going to do ourselves just a quick little recap of this weekend's fights because there's a, there's a weird week off in MMA aside from like the Pro Fight League. I think they've got like a four-fight card this weekend. But uh, we just had probably was one of the biggest Bellator cards of all time and uh, a kind of controversial with some interesting talking points, at least if anything, in the UFC OKC card. Jordan, I assume you caught both these? Yes, sir. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're just going to go and kind of just jump through the highlights and pick through. There's a lot. There is actually underrated undercard action in each of them, which may still come up. But uh, we're just going to kind of talk through the highlights. So we'll we'll go in um, chronological order, and we'll start with Saturday's event. And let me just say, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, you know, they didn't headline the event. but, But my goodness, BJ Penn and Fedor Emelianenko, guys from our era, Jordan, the pudgy guys who didn't who were balding <laughs> but were kicking everybody's ass. Like, no more, man. How depressing was that? Just, 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 just as a whole to get us started. Yeah, I'm always so like my first instinct is to always kind of remove myself from the situation and say, listen, it's not my place to ever tell someone you shouldn't do what makes your money. You shouldn't end your livelihood in your profession. But at this point, man, like I. I always tell myself, all right, I'm not going to watch BJ fight anymore. And then it, like his fight comes near, and I'm like, man, I got to watch it. It's BJ Penn. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. And then I watch it, and I'm like, fuck, dude, this sucks. I hate watching BJ get beat up. And the same thing goes for Fedor, man. Like Fedor hasn't fought as much as BJ has of recent, but still he – I mean – yeah, they're heavyweights. They hit really hard, but he got dropped by a jab. Like he was, he was probably going to be finished off of that jab. Like I don't know if he was going to stand back up, even with all those follow-up shots. So at this point, it's it's tough to watch. I I I don't want it to tarnish their legacy, but I think it's starting to, and that that's a, such a bummer for two of the greatest fighters of all time. Yeah, I mean, especially with you know Fedor. Like I was. You know, my girlfriend is surprisingly like an avid MMA fan. Like, you know, not just a girlfriend. Like, oh, my boyfriend's MMA, so I guess I'll watch. Like, she ends up having her favorite fighters, and it's like weird fighters you wouldn't think. Like, 
you know, like Brazilian fight, like Jacare. She loves Damian Maya, so she was stoked about today's news. Um, she was really nice. stoked about that Damian Maya fight in Woodley. But uh, but yeah, I was trying to explain to her who Fedor was, so I, I couldn't find the exact highlight. There used to be this really awesome highlight that had the Mauro Krokop is in the danger zone, and I couldn't yeah. quite find it. But there's a there's a there's a plethora of Fedor highlights. But I'm I'm trying to play it for her, like looking you know, looking over like. Look at how crazy! Look at all the guys he faced. Look right. what he survived and came back from. And she, there were points where she was definitely in awe and appreciated it, but it just wasn't the same. And we're at the, and it reminded me, I'm like, oh my goodness, we're at this age where all I have is shitty YouTube clips to show how great Fedor was because right. you can't look at any of his recent fights. And yeah, no. we saw him get dropped by a jab on Saturday night. But anyways, yeah. uh, so, go ahead. No, I would say you're right, man. It, it sucks because it, it's like when you're trying to describe – I like to think of it this way. It's like when you remember a movie from your childhood mm-hmm. and you remember it being awesome because at the time it was awesome. you know. And then you go back now and you watch it or you try to explain it to someone and they watch it and they're like, yeah, it was all right. And it just it doesn't do it justice because you had to be there in the moment for – the the wild ride that it was like Fedor beating all these guys consecutively like he has to lose at some point because he's fighting the best fighters in the world like every fight was like oh shit this is the one where Fedor is finally going to lose nope he he ends up winning so it's uh it, it is it's hard to do it justice to what it, it it was actually like while the fights were happening. 100%, 100%. And uh, the result, of course, if you don't know by now, Matt Mitrione, shortly after that double jab kind of dropping instance Jordan just referred to, was able to win by TKO. And again, not only does one of our legends lose, but they have the post-arrive photos like no other now. And that, that, that just We have to see in articles the week after, sadly. So that's yeah. part of the deal of being a hardcore fan. But uh, aside from that on the Bellator card, um, Michael Chandler... Michael Chandler, wow, that was that was probably one of the more crazier upsets. I would say I don't think Pico was much of an upset, especially when you look at it in retrospect. But but right. but but um, wow, not not Freeman. I'm pre, pre, Primus, Brett Primus. Sorry, yeah, uh, Brett yeah. Primus. You know, congrats to him again. We were seeing that kind of calf kick paying big dividends in fights. I mean. You know, uh, granted, Sam went into his last fight injured early, but we saw, you right. know, first kick off the bat that we could see. Just yep. takes, it takes even a tough guy, you know, who has knockout power, kind of takes him out of a fight or at least compromises yep. him heavily. And that's who I first thought of, at least. I thought of Sam immediately when, when Chandler, was, who's a buddy of mine, as Sam is a buddy of yours. Uh, I remember actually, you know, being on the mats with Chandler talking about him saying, I don't want to wait for this Bellator contract. I got to wait till next February. I want to fight now. And he ended up taking Bellator and look at him now. So it's, it's been great to watch his growth, but that was. That was kind of anticlimactic. Before I, I guess I get any more, what are, what are your thoughts on the bout, Jordan? No, I agree. It's my least favorite way to see a fight end is when a guy gets hurt. You know, it sucks. It's uh, because uh, not to say Brent Primus couldn't have won that fight because he absolutely could have. He's a very skilled fighter, but it, it just it feels like you get kind of robbed of what could have been because Chandler is very good and Brent Primus is a good match for him. I really wanted to see that fight. And, uh, you know, when a fight fighter gets hurt, especially so early into the fight, you know, that wasn't even that was even halfway through the first round, I don't think. Uh, so it's. It's uh, it almost feels like uh, anticlimactic because it's it, it was over before it really got started. And you know, speaking of anticlimactic title fights in New York, um, I guess it didn't help that we had a was it good old Todd Anderson was referee there. Our boy Todd Anderson was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that took already an unfortunate situation and kind of made it worse and exacerbated it with a, a maybe yeah. a poor call, maybe overcorrecting the steering wheel, which will will we'll, uh, we kind of would would see you know be a theme in this weekend on both cards, but. But yeah, man, it was tough, and I don't want to take you know anything away you know from Prim- from Primus like you said, and uh, 
I always want to call him Prius. I don't know why, like an economical car. But, um, but, but, you know, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm sure that Bellator is going to at least make the most out of this. And now they have a very sellable rematch in a fight that kind of maybe seemed like filler just to get Chandler a win. Now all of a sudden right. has some substance. So, I mean, there is a silver lining in that sense. I do have a question. Why isn't Brent Primus's uh, nickname "My Name Is Mud"? Yes, that's too. Yeah, yes. I hear the baseline in my head just kind of clicking. <laughs> yeah, I know, that, right? That heavy metallic <laughs> corn baseline just leading into the song. Oh man, yeah. you're bringing it back. You're bringing it back, sir. Um, was that on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack too? As well, did they have one of those? Did they use that for one of their songs? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was on there. That's probably yeah. that's probably where I first came upon it. Uh, as many songs that that video game. Oh, you know what? No, it wasn't that one. It was uh, it was a different uh, different Primus song though. Oh, but yeah, I don't remember the name Boxcar of it. Rider yeah. or some shit like that. Yeah, Boxcar Rider. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it. That's it. Oh, that's great. So we're giving you multiple flashbacks. This is just a, a taste yes. of the flashbacks to come, folks. But uh, aside from that, uh, what, what else we had? Yeah, we, I kind of touched on that. Aaron, P- not too much to say. Aaron Pico versus Freeman there. Um, yeah, I, I, that line was kind of crazy. Even as a degenerate gambler, I, I wouldn't even touch that. And uh, congrats to you if you crack cash on the dog there there was a lot of dogs that hit on that bellator card we had uh, a yeah. one that i actually took i actually took a shot on lima against larkin i know i'm pretty sure larkin's one of your guys i love lorenz larkin too he's a big you know a yeah. uh, uh, fan with a uh, junkie nation and all the homies there but man i i did an interview when i was on a uh, speaking of junkie uh, ma junkie radio interviewed douglas lima and i loved where this kid's head was at mm-hmm. and where he's kind of gone recently and he's a real underrated player. What were your thoughts on that fight and, and also just Douglas Lima? I know you're a Larkin fan as well, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's one thing I've had to do. Like once I meet all these guys, I end up liking everybody, like right. just about everyone I've ever met. Like I've instantly been like, this dude's awesome. Like I never want to see him lose. Uh, so, yeah, I've talked to Lima, too, and he's a great guy. But uh, yeah, you know, what? I ex- I almost expected more out of Lorenz, but I've got to give credit to Lima more than be, I guess, disappointed with Lorenz because Lima just timed Lorenz coming in and hit him with some big counters like that. That's kudos to you, Lima, because uh, he, he just had a great game plan. Lorenz was planning on coming in and kind Kind of blitzing and landing some good combos and getting out and before he could get out he was getting cracked so it was a it was a really good game plan on lima's part yeah and then again with the leg kicks apparently yeah. I, I don't know if, i didn't hear the interview so i can't quote him but i did hear that that larkin did say so himself that apparently he was going to southpaw more than usual um, because of the kicks as well so it was, felt like a very like welterweight-ish jose aldo like performance from lima you know just really yeah. measured without the jab you know uh, uh, the jab you know right. using it more probably could help uh help him but that typical you know oh right cross left hook late you know leg kick right uh, brazilian muay thai style that that seems very that, simplistic he does very well that with it dutch combo yeah yes. absolutely yes absolutely yeah there you go and yeah yeah so 100 percent that that was cool and ironically enough the fight that you expect some weird shit to happen especially with bellator main events was probably the most normal fight of the night which was chael sonnen versus vanderlei silva <laughs> oddly enough was one of the more normal fights right it was it was honestly what I exactly what I expected to happen. Uh, I would have loved to see this fight like four or five years ago yeah, yeah. Uh, when it when it probably would have been a little more competitive. But at this point, Vanderlei hasn't fought in so long. You're, he's he's always kind of had trouble with good wrestlers um, in the in the past. And Chael is a very good wrestler, even though he's uh, they, they're both advanced in age. I mean, this I guess this was the expected outcome for me is that if if Vanderlei could hurt Chael on the feet, he's got a shot, which he did. He landed a couple good shots, but I mean. Uh, it was it was all chael the entire time. Vanderlei couldn't get him off him. Yep, yep, definitely. Well, moving on from the Bellator card and kind of retouching on that initial Fedor Penn uh, theme we introed on. Yeah, the other side of that was BJ Penn, and you kind of you mentioned it there about managing expectations and even with just you know 
with the Lima Larkin as far as interviewing fighters and having to manage your expectations that way through, through the actual personal relationships you develop. But I will say, man, even as a Penn fan and Penn Mark, I've been pretty good. I think, you know, since the Frankie Edgar, I think the last time Penn sold me was that uh, third fight with Frankie Edgar where I believe, oh, this could could be it, you know? He's back. He's back out of 170, taking, you know, out of those fights where he was taking damage. And little did we know the damage was already done by that time. So, you know, anyways, but, um, but yeah, man, I actually managed my expectations for this, Jordan. I didn't expect anything. uh, Even, you know, like you said, usually there's there's a point. Even the most jaded of us will be like, this is a BJ Penn fight at the last minute. We'll get excited. I didn't right. even feel that. And I was proud of myself. And God damn it, did BJ Penn have to go and knock down Dennis Seaver in the second right. round and get me excited again. For a second, I just felt – and it was funny. I was rewatching. Like after he knocked down Din Thomas with a knee, it was the same thing, almost the same arch in his back where he kind of crowds over the guy in full guard and starts raining down punches. But everything wasn't the same. Like we saw him defend the single leg from Seaver, and he was balancing on one leg and was successful. That was good. That was impressive. Yeah. Right, it was. But at the same time, still wasn't the same, right? He hit no. him. He dropped him with the uppercut. And we seen him, you know, drop uh, Uno with the uppercut, right? Say that same yeah. uppercut. But it wasn't the same, and and yeah, and the rest of the fight, of course, as we know, he ends up just kind of staying in side control instead of trying to finish, where the BJ Penn of old was like hot lava once it hit the ground. It was like watching a snake devour its prey on the Nature Channel. Sadly, yeah. we didn't see that, and he was just out of gas in what I and many scored, a 10-8 round for Seaver. What was your uh, yeah. play by the fight? Yeah, no, I, I did too. I have no idea how anybody scored that as a draw. It was uh, pretty clearly a uh, a win for Seaver in my book, yeah, but me too. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I like you said when when he did drop Dennis there in the second round, I did get a little excited um, more than I should have. But this is the, the the thing that bumps me out is this is the most winnable fight um, for him in this division. So if he had this much trouble with Dennis Seaver, who credit to Dennis Seaver, everybody be cool. You be cool. Sorry about that. Lost some connection there. But, uh, Jordan, you were talking about Seaver and Penn. Yeah, I guess for me, I did uh, – just like you said, I got excited when when BJ dropped uh, Seaver in the second round. Uh, but then, yeah, as soon as it hit the mat – and it, it was just – you're right. It was a different BJ Penn. It's just not the same guy. Uh, it, when he didn't finish him within the first, like, 10 seconds of being on the ground, I was like, well, this – you know, I, BJ needed to finish that. I don't think he's going to win. And the, the problem is that this was the – the reason I kind of got excited about it is that this is the most winnable fight for him in this division. yeah. yeah. Dennis Seaver is very good, like all the credit in the world to him, but he's also aging. He's also not super explosive, not really going to knock everybody out at this point. He's not super technical everywhere. So, I I mean, while he's a very good striker, you know, he's not one of those guys that's just going to piece BJ up. But BJ couldn't pull the trigger, and especially when he was gassed out in that third third round. So, uh, I mean, if BJ can't win against Dennis Seaver— Again, no offense to Seaver, but you know what? What are you doing out here? There's not a, there's not a more winnable fight in the UFC for him. One hundred percent. That 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 is a big point too. I mean, you really just. I was even thinking about it. I'm like, there's nobody, even of the aging veteran status, near. And even people mentioned Gomi, who is is treading that territory himself of being shot. I still wouldn't even right. feel comfortable with at this point. You know, I mean, no. because at that point, I mean. I don't know how much Gomi really wants that revenge, but he very well could get it. And the sad part is then it just even kind of takes away from Penn's legacy even more, which, again, you know, you're not getting that much positive press going into his fights these days, I think. Right. Aside from, you know, not to pat my own back, but aside from my article, I really wasn't seeing much, to be honest. Um, Thank you for those who who gave me the positive uh, feedback and shares on the Faith and Fire uh, article I did. 
on Penn earlier this year. Um, but yeah, moving on, we had a, oh my goodness, you know, I was, I felt bad, Jordan. I don't know if you heard, I was comparing Justine Quiche to, to Reagan from The Exorcist, you know, from, yeah. uh, I, I posted like the thing, like, as she just, Merrick. Like, she looked, she has that kind of look, like, especially when she's like, doesn't have her makeup and she's bleeding in a fight. She has yeah. that, like, possessed look and she almost fights that way. And I was joking because I'm like, man, she has this crazy bridge. Where, you know, she uses it to scramble out of things. And I was just thinking, like, Reagan has a bridge, too, when she, you know, bends her at back down the stairs. And, you know, yeah. for, I'm, I'm referencing a movie from the 70s. I'm sorry. Hopefully you all seen The Exorcist. But she goes down the stairs, bridge backwards, and ends up throwing up. And I was like, well, that's her warming up in the background. But sure enough, she, Justine Keish bridge and projectile green stuff, but from the other end. Yeah, it was rough. You know what? One thing. Uh, so for, I'll only say two things about this because I feel awful me too yeah by the way yeah, yeah, I, I, it, it, yeah. you know honestly that could and after talking to sam that could happen to anybody oh, like if yeah. you have a stomach bug going in and she like that choke was deep and she was kudos to her for not tapping to that first of all and she worked her way out of it and then yeah you know it happened shit happens she owned it after the fight oh, as she well. was awesome by that so, so uh, nothing but kudos to her. I feel terrible for her because you know, no matter what she does, she could go on to win the belt, and she's always going to be the girl who who shit in the octagon. Yeah. Like that's just the the real the 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 truth of the situation. But here's one thing that no one's talking about. I I've been a fan of Justine Kish for a while. I watched her before she got in the UFC, and I feel like her striking uh, uh, proficiency went away. Like she looked awful in that fight on I'm the glad feet. You said that, was, yeah super shocked by that because if you go back and like watch her random Marcos fight before mm-hmm. she got in the UFC or even watch the the last couple fights she's had in the UFC she like her right hand was like at her waist the entire time she was just getting popped with that left hook and like Felice was throwing it very slow and it was still landing every time so I was like what the hell is she doing like I I, I knew Felice would have an advantage when it went to the mat or when they were uh, not necessarily when they were in the clinch because I think Kish is pretty good in the clinch but uh, when they went to the mat I knew Herrig would have uh, an advantage but I also thought the the striking Justine was going to have an advantage I was just really I guess kind of disappointed in her performance yeah, man, I'm glad you mentioned that because not, not a lot of people mention that either. Like her striking proficiency went down from the RFA fight to the, the gap where she went to the tough house, got injured. So we really we really didn't get to see her there, obviously. Oh. And then you know she comes into the UFC and has, I believe, three fights. Um, and yeah, it, it almost looked worse each time, which was really weird. And you know, Felice Herrig will shoot, but she mainly gets her you know takedowns from the clinch. So it wasn't. I don't think it was one of those things where like, oh, I'm going to keep my my arm down, you know, to, to prevent right. a shot kind of a thing. And yeah, uh, hats off to her for sure. I, there, I don't know if there's any other way to open besides the shit thing, but, uh, but, yeah. but, but yeah, it, it also sucks too, because that double standard, um, I think exists, you know, the male, female double standard, I should say exists in this kind of thing too, where even though Yoel still gets shit jokes till this day, it's not as bad. It's like, it's a dude, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where, a girl, it's like even when you're dating a girl, you don't want to know she poops. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like right, but you you just assume that a big sweaty Cuban guy is just dropping disgusting shits all the time. Oh yeah, like of you know, yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things. Like Yoel Romero shit his pants. That doesn't surprise me. Like yeah, for 100 percent that happens. Tim Sylvia? Oh, you mean he doesn't walk around like that in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Tim Sylvia was 80 percent of the time you meet him, he's probably got a loaf brewing down there. <laughs> oh my god, especially now, Jesus. Shout out to Tim Sylvia. Uh, I, I, there may be an honorable mention for him coming out, uh, maybe just for booze, but we'll, I'll, I'll save that for later in case uh, in case that comes up. But yeah, um, again, again, yeah. Props to Gushin Keish. I actually she was my early pick in this one. Like, I think she's going to upset a lot of girls. And you know, if you, if you, I agree. And if you shit your pants, by the way, like to to, to, to kind of even it out, like. Uh, 
Um, if you shit your pants, it's good luck for one year. So my buddy Jacob told me after shitting his pants while we were on a trampoline. <laughs> you know when you're on a trampoline, you try to steal the other person's bounce, and like yeah, you're yeah. in the air, and you're like, oh, you 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 hit the you hit the trampoline real hard to kind of steal their bounce. And he went mm-hmm. to do that, but he went to he, he he put so much effort into pushing down on the trampoline to to steal the bounce that he shit himself, and it just was really That's funny. Amazing. And uh, actually, to even it out, I have a story where I shit myself. Do you want to hear? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, only because you're actually I would I, you could probably be like you know what Dan I don't want to hear. But if I told you Jordan, let's just say arbitrarily you don't want to hear this or someone doesn't want to hear this, and you can fast forward a little bit. But what I will tell you here's a tease. It was on the Great Wall of China. So, that's amazing. Yeah. I 100% want to hear it. Yeah. So even if you were a person that's like, I don't want to hear it, you'd be like, okay, tell me more. I, uh, it was, you know, the second trip, I did two trips to China, two summers to train there. Um, this was in 2002, I believe. Uh, and I it was there. I actually went there to test this time. I went, it wasn't, they don't do belts or anything, but we, the, the uh, right. Chinese Kempo school that I was associated with, Kempo Karate, uh, we had an affiliation with the Shaolin Temple. So we went up there. And I was one of the few select to, to test for, for uh, uh, black belts because they weren't going to put any of their schlubs up there, right, and embarrass themselves. So they only put black yeah. belts. It was this crazy, like, two-day test. It was a real fun story. Another place, another time. But we got to do some tourist stuff after the temple, which was nice. So we go to the Great Wall of China. And we're there, and it's funny. It's people from, like, the karate affiliation, and it's United States-wide, from, like, Boston, Mass, to California, and everywhere in between. And there's these, like, and I love East Coast people, but there's these, like, asshole East Coast dudes that was just, like, these group of, like, just, they were just really, like, elitist, like, kind of these really, like, real douchebags. And it was just, like, it felt really cringeworthy because it was, like, essentially, you know, hey, I'm half Caucasian, but it was essentially just a bunch of of white dudes going, I want to be the first guy to do the crane form. On the Great Wall, and he just starts going into a oh. form like an asshole, and then the other guys. Hunter, just... what if Hunter? What if you got up there and like totally got on your left leg, rose your <laughs> arms? You'd look fucking rad, bro. Yeah, it was like that, but like it was like, <laughs> and and this doesn't sound like East Coast. It sounds like West Coast dudes we were doing, but these guys were from the East Coast. Whatever that, that has nothing to do with the story, but yeah, they, they essentially kind of sounded like that though, which was ironic. And like the other guys, like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna do a mantis form, and as much as I'm hating on them, I'm like, God damn it, I wanted to do the mantis form. you know and i'm like trying to think i'm like what can i do to be the first person and as i'm thinking i'm literally having this thought and out of nowhere by the way i didn't really maybe shit myself as much as say shart because i what i thought uh, was a fart jordan was much more than that this is the protecting neck podcast why are we talking about just bear with me folks we're gonna move on in a second we're gonna move on but yeah um yeah and next thing you know i'm like uh-oh there's trouble afoot so i just beeline it to the bathroom which if you're ever at the great wall of china at least in 2002 the bathroom is just wooden outhouses that are holes in the ground when you open it sure and unfortunately there were no toilet paper in fact the only toilet paper there was was used toilet paper because you had to bring your own and there was this disgusting open bin that was right there i'm like why can't we just throw it in the fucking hole the hole probably leads to the center of the universe just throw it in there anyways very gross bathroom and uh yeah let's just say i don't know if y'all remember what's that Oh no! I was just gonna say I, I have a bathroom story I can chip in really fast too if you if if you want to hear it. Well, this is just for Justine Keish, so we're not letting her, letting her letting her hang in her own shit alone here. But yeah, uh, abs- but, but, that's a that's a good that's a good that's a good way to think of it. You know, and uh, so and essentially, just the end of the story is. Uh, I had these pair of Joe Boxers. Everyone remembers Joe Boxers from the early 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I just that that became. I, I threw those away. Put my shorts back on. And the rest of the day, I was defensive. Like we were up on the wall. Like, oh man, look at the tactical holes for arrows, Dan. Aren't these awesome? I don't smell shit. Like it was just like that was my response to everything. Yeah, for like, sure. They probably shit their pants all the time. Not that I did. Yeah, it was just yeah, exactly. Like it was that the whole time. But yeah, that that that's my story for what it's worth. So we've all been there. What's what's yours, Jordan? 
Yeah, mine's not necessarily shitting myself, but it's shitting in a really uh, awkward spot. I uh, when I was in college, I went out and I got really drunk and I walked home and I uh, I realized I didn't have my key to my apartment. My roommates were not home, so I'm locked out of my apartment and I I feel this explosive diarrhea shit coming on. You know, after you've drank like 19 whiskeys and you're like, I'm gonna make my insides be my outsides right now, and I need to have a bathroom, but I couldn't get into my apartment and I felt too. Here's how drunk Jordan thought of it it's gonna be too embarrassing to knock on your neighbor's door and say hey i need to use your bathroom so instead i walked outside into the parking lot it's a gated parking lot that you needed an access code to get in and i went and i was about to shit next to my car and again drug logic was like i don't want to shit next to my car because i don't want to step in it so i went to two random strangers cars and i just i you know i did my business between their cars right on the pavement of the parking lot and uh uh, and i then here's the best part so i get done obviously i don't have any toilet paper i just pull my shorts back up and then i realize my key is in my back pocket so i didn't have uh i didn't check my back pocket so i had my key the whole time so i shit in the parking lot uh on the asphalt between two cars for no reason uh the next day (laughs) the next day i go to leave i go to leave and i see like the the maintenance crew out there and i didn't walk by because i felt so bad about it and i i was like there's no way i can ever like face these people and as i'm leaving the girl next to me is like somebody shit in the park (laughs) and i was like i was like oh man that's fucked up relax it's okay (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm upsetting it's you. Right. I'm laughing too hard. I was like, "That's." I go, "That's fucked up." I hope they don't. I hope they have cameras. She's like, "No, nah, I don't think they do." I was like, oh, "That's good." Oh Jesus so, yeah. Christ, that's great. There, yeah, there's my story, Justine. Oh, the, the the post comment is always makes the story much much better. All right, just two more fights to touch on before we jump to break and go to our top five. Um, Hendrix Bosch, do you have any? I'll let you go first. Do you have anything you want to say on that one? Not really. I mean, it's kind of fitting. Uh, I, I hate saying that because I don't want to. I don't want to be an asshole to anybody. But I've never met Johnny, so I don't know him as a person. But uh, I, I, it's absolutely unacceptable to miss weight that many times, especially when you're moving up a division. So I, it, it almost felt like uh, justice porn a little bit. You know, Boach busts his ass to get down to 85 because uh, he's still a big guy. People yeah. forget that Boach. Dude, cuts down to 85. He's also up there in age. So Boach busts his ass to get down there. Johnny's coming up from 170. He can't make the weight. So, like, I kind of felt bad for Boach. And then when he, you know, dropped him, I was like, good. Fuck yeah, Tim Boach. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And Johnny Hendricks was one of the guys early on was a fan of. You know, he, he used to train out here in Vegas and would uh, co-host with the uh, – excuse me. Speaking of Tim Bosch, I'm having myself a few beers. Um, I don't know why I associate Tim Bosch with beer. I just assume everybody does. But <laughs> you know why he does? Because I said he looks like your dad, your friend's dad, who's always late picking him up from soccer practice, and he's always a little buzzed. Yes, that's, who that's looks right. Like. One of the best analogies ever. Thank you for rebirthing that and giving it life on the Protect Your Neck podcast. It's associate yeah. Tim Bosch with that, or as my buddy Steve Cruz, who got me in MMA, so he play bass in my band, would say. I remember looking at the UFC Fight Night 13, the, the fight night I love segueing to on this podcast, go, looking at the photos going, look at Tim Bosch. Doesn't it look like he just should have a beer on, on the scale with him? And it would seem yeah. normal and no one would blink an eye. Like, not even the commission. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Tim Bosch. And, uh, and, Bosch. and again, you know, Johnny, the funny thing is back in the day, we used to call Johnny the Baconator because he used to joke about it, when he was making weight back then consistently, would joke about eating fast food and Baconators were his favorite. So the listeners gave him this um, – Gave him this this uh, nickname, and 
it, you know, we would flood. They would flood Twitter. They would flood the social media with it, and he never took it. And I remember the listeners being a little bit bummed out, you know, and even the co-host George and goes, like, oh, man, I really wish he, he stuck with right. that. And then how iron, how how fitting is irony? He doesn't take the Baconator name, and sure enough, weight issues and diet seem to be his downfall in the end when he doesn't take the name. He takes the big rig name right. and ends up being a big rig himself. And, and again, I'll never compare myself seriously, and I'm always, like, really, like, poignant on that. But between Hendrix's comments on, you know, unfiltered saying, I was going to start my weight cut today, and then I'm not. And again, I, I've never been a pro, never been close, but I've competed and, 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 and competed in some form of martial arts for 20-plus years. I'm 5'9", the same height as Johnny Hendricks, and a pretty thickly framed Hawaiian 5'9", a thicker, heavier 5'9", than normal, a guy who sits around two bills, and recently dropped to 183 without running once and maybe exercising four times in four weeks. I mean, that's right. kind of goddamn ridiculous, and I wasn't too strict on the goddamn diet, by the way. Like, I was eating pretty 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 healthily but it's just a little bit of discipline goes a long way and i'm like come on if a joe schmo the same frame of a similar you know what i'm saying it just it's really hard to run, start you start running out of excuses maybe the 171 even though he should have been 155 he wrestled at 157 and again tim, yeah. tim bosch here's how hard it is for him to make the weight not only is he a big guy when he first made 185 a couple years back or you know maybe five years back now mm-hmm. whenever it was he hadn't been that light since his college days and he's in his late right. 30s so that means it's been 20 years or so since he's had to make that weight, and he still makes it as an older man. So, yeah, no no excuses. Yeah. You can't make excuses for Johnny at this point. No, absolutely. And after meeting Sam and becoming friends with Sam and knowing the kind of cut he goes through, like, I oh. have no sympathy for anyone. Sam cuts damn near 40 pounds. And so it's like if sorry, he's never missed. No, no, yeah, he's never, never missed. And I mean, there are plenty of guys like that. I'm not trying to just single yeah. him out. There are tons of guys who cut a, a shitload of weight. And may, is that the best thing for the sport? Probably not. But you know what? It's the rules. They do it, and they never miss weight. And so, it, it, guys like Johnny need to be called out for it because it's bullshit. The other guys bust their ass to make the weight, and then you know he he doesn't. One hundred percent. Now, before we go to break, one more fight. I don't know. Again, I'm gonna let you kick off here. What's your opinion on the main event? Uh, controversy slash semi-controversy. What, what, what side are you on here for the leak? He has a stoppage with Yamasaki involved. I mean, I don't think there's much controversy. I mean, should uh, Yamasaki have let it go another two seconds? Yeah, probably. Uh, but at the same time, was Kiesa defending the choke? No, he wasn't. Um, so, I mean, I, I I do think he should have let it go two seconds. Do I think it would have affected the outcome? Not in the slightest. That choke was deep. It was it was he was going to sleep. I will say this: Kiesa was doing a lot better on the feet than I thought that fight was going to go. Like he he tagged uh, Lee a couple times, and I was I was actually kind of impressed. And then because I, I thought Lee was going to going to win that fight, and so I was I was a little. Uh, a uh, little impressed with how well Kiesa was doing before it went to the mat. That's the story, Kiesa. I mean, I know other analysts feel the same way where we don't really give him high marks in the technical regard, but he makes it work. I mean, we saw him, you know, he's one of the few guys that dropped Jorge Masvidal, um, mm-hmm. which was which was surprising, even though, you know, of course, Jorge came back and choked him out. But, um, but yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm with you on that, too. Um, I was a little, you know, you know even though... Uh, I thought, you know, Kiesa was done. I, I, I'm on, more on the side of semi-controversy, but I was a little more emotional because Mazagati makes dumb stoppages. And even though people were emotional in the moment, I was more emotional because I knew that there wasn't controversy there. But the fact that Yamasaki right. pulled the trigger two seconds early was going to create a whole lot of, you know, uh, hubbub over almost nothing and, yeah. t- and take away take credit, right. take credit away from the proper people. So that's what my emotion was, for, was over. And I, I feel like I did a pretty good job of, you know... Um, 
backing that up because I even tweeted after I'm like from a technical standpoint we had a fully locked in body triangle fully locked yeah, in as in it was over. It, it's tight you could see his ribs protruding and he had the foot tucked it tucked in behind Kiesa's leg which keeps him from kind of yeah. turtling bellying over and then you have you know arm under the chin you have palm to palm grip head blocking it and then he had that leverage where he's pulling the elbow into his ribs I mean there was all these right. things, and then hands going almost started to go limp to look like you're tapping. They didn't look like they were defending. That's right. for sure. It was either tapping or going limp. And when that's what your hands right. look like they're doing and not hand fighting, and that's a problem. And uh, the second, the only second point I'll bring up to kind of reinforce that is Luke Thomas did a good job about, you know, I think he showed slides like Nathan Coy getting choked out and Leo Machida getting choked out by John Jones and showing that hands going mm-hmm. limp is signs that, that a guy is about to go yep. out. And I will say right. on, the, on the contrary that it it also shows that it's a sign that they're about to tap. And the two examples I point to that are more recent and relevant is Carlos Condit versus Damian Maya. Carlos Condit's mm-hmm. arms go weirdly limp. Remember, it's a little weird. And then he comes up and taps, yep. and then it's over. Yep. And Gleason Tebow's last fight in 2015 November against Abel Trujillo, where Abel Trujillo's yeah. arms go down to his side and go limp. And the, as soon as the ref stops it, you see Abel Trujillo literally do the same I uh, think is Michael Chiesa gets right up to his feet and starts protesting it, but it, it looks right. really weird. And I'm not saying those two give you a definitive answer as to what happened, but I think it makes the the sample size much more healthier to show that this actually isn't that crazy of a spot that Marmio Yamasaki or any ref stopping it at that time is actually protocol. So. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And actually, just one thing to, to give Yamasaki the benefit of the doubt. If you look at that, it looked like Chiesa was trying to tap and he just missed the arm. Me too. That's, I thought he was honestly, about to tap. Yeah, so yeah, when when I saw it originally, I was like, oh, what the hell? And then they showed the replay, and I was like, oh, shit, it looked like he tried to tap, and he just missed his arm. It looked like he was tapping the air, but yeah, it was just his arms were starting to go limp. He was about to go out, but but I, I, I think, in all honesty, a lot of refs would have stopped that. I don't think it's just that Yamasaki sucks. I think a lot of refs would have seen that as, oh, he's mm-hmm. trying to tap, and he just missed Kevin Lee's arm. And I'm sure Michael Chiesa is not trying to make excuses or lie, by the way. Like, I'm sure he's completely genuine when he's trying to recount Absolutely. his tell. But the thing about the blood chokes is it's kind of a tricky game. Like, you don't realize when you're about to go out. I mean, if if, no. if, a, if a fighter, you know, if fighter example is not enough, I got an example that supersedes all. Now, tell me what you think, Jordan. If you're, if you're as good of a buddy as mine as I think, you'll appreciate this example. But, I mean, let's look at the real masters of the game, right? David fucking Carradine. Now, there's a yeah. choke artist who just made a little miscalculation. And uh, no, and uh, no, but honestly, there's an eight year old boy boy in Thailand somewhere that knows what happened in that room. God damn it. <laughs> no. Yeah, because he paid him $100 to watch him jerk off and put a belt around his neck. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways, the po- I think the moral of the story I'm trying to say here is it's a fine line between success and glory. <laughs> Hold on. How am I the morbid one? You made the David Carradine joke. I just backed it up. <laughs> I said the moral of the story is I think just it, it's, a, it's a fine line when you play the choking game, yeah. folks. So, so, um, um, it, I, but right. I think Yamasaki just kind of got a lot of flack because – he is a habitual line stepper, and I think that's the, the absolutely the, the, the yeah. part of it that where people kind of emotionally ah. He, he a habitual line stepper. He's a habitual line <laughs> stepper. All right, well, we're gonna <laughs> habitually step some lines probably in the next segment as we take a break, and when we come back, we'll be right here for the top five MMA walkouts, baby, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. Just 
here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. Top five MMA walkouts. That's right. We're done recapping. No more autoerotic asphyxiation stories. No more shit stories. It's the top five MMA walkouts. So we're going to be pulling not from UFC, but from everything in the timeline spectrum, everything that is MMA. Jordan, you excited for this, my man? Dude, I'm pumped for this one, and uh, I, I just word word of warning. I think I have more honorable mentions this time than I've ever had, maybe combined in all the times I've been on. My God, me too, man. Like this is one where it's like we're gonna do honorable mentions as usual with the submissions and transitions. So if you submitted a list first, you will get first dibs um, as far as that goes, and whatever you miss, whatever didn't make our top five is the honorable mentions. But I'm with Jordan here. The list is 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 full and not just full. I mean, there's always a full page of list whenever I do one of these, but this one is fruitful. Like it was, it was hard. I feel like I was like deciding from you know it was like wartime, and I'm trying to decide which which child I want to leave behind for dead and which one I want to take with me. <laughs> like it was, it was making the list. I mean, narrowing it down to five, man, that was tough. You you felt the same on yours. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I told you this before we started recording. I I switched out two. 10 minutes before we started and like stuff that I had in my honorable mention that I was like, I have to put it in there. I, I can't not put that in there. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I did the same thing too. Um, I think my number four was my um, 11th hour pick. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get to that one. We'll get to all of them. And again, if there's crossover, um, it's totally fine. We'll double dip and uh, for future lists or, you know, just future themes. If you want to suggest an idea, you can hit us up, hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast on Twitter, at the PYM Podcast, or keep it simple, at the PYM Podcast on Instagram or Facebook if you want to contribute your comments, thoughts that way. All right, plugs are done. Let's start off in number five, and I'm going to let my guest, since he's more than a guest, he's comfortable. He knows, he knows the format. He knows the show. He knows me too well. So, Jordan, why don't you just kick us off with your number five, sir? All right, man. I'll start off number five. I'm I'm doing a little cheating because I do a slash. I've got two that I could not pick between, but it's the same song, and so Ooh. that's why I went two at number five. Nice. Okay, so my my number five is it's both Ashling Daly and Korean Zombie coming out to the song Zombie by the Cranberries, and they're they're awesome for different reasons. Uh, Ash Daly's was awesome because it was in Dublin, and the crowd was singing along, and it was super cool. It was a really cool moment. You guys have all seen the video. It kind of went viral right after the fight where somebody in the crowd took a video with their phone of, you know, 10,000, 15,000 people all singing the chorus to Zombie together, which is a cool, cool experience, right? Because, you know, it's an Irish band. You're in Ireland. The Irish fighter's there. It's really cool, man. And it gives me goosebumps even just thinking about it. My next one, with the same song, Korean Zombie, coming out to the song Zombie, because, first of all, Korean Zombie's one of the baddest motherfuckers of all time. Like, that dude is one of the first 145-pounders that I was ever like, that's a tough fucking guy. Like, a lot of times... 45ers, I'm like, that's a technical guy, that's a quick guy. Like, there's not a lot of dudes at 45 that you're like, that dude's tough as fucking nails. And that's Korean Zombie to the T. And when he headlined on the Fuel UFC on Fuel, where he was fighting Dustin Poirier, do you remember that? Yeah. He was the he, he was the last guy to come out, right? So they dim the lights for him, right? So the lights go out and you hear the song Zombie come in, and then like the crowd goes nuts, and then you see the you know they the UFC does a really good job of like cutting to the video of the fighter walking walking out and dude it was it's so you can still find it on youtube you can find the intro of him coming out at ufc uh it's like ufc on fuel one of those ones it was right before they they got rid of fuel tv and verses and all that shit but it's so cool man because the the mood just fits the song with his name it's it's fucking awesome and korean zombie i 
I can never get enough of that guy. So that's my number five. It's a mixture. Ashling Daly, Korean Zombie, coming out to Zombie by the Cranberries. Beautiful pick, man. I know our mutual friend Keith McKenna, editor of MMA Latest News over there, is going to be happy with that one. That was in his honorable mention. I'll get to the second one later uh, if it doesn't come up. But that was an awesome one. I remember watching that with my girlfriend, and we both kind of had goosebumps. Like, wow. Because we were like, you know, I remember, you know, me and her, we woke up early in bed and watched the first Dublin show with McGregor Brandau. You know, it was at that time. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. the second one, you know, there was uh, injuries. I mean, Smoke and Hulahan ended up having a headline. Yeah. So there, there was some gusto kind of taken out of it, you know. It was, and it was at, at that point, people, of course, we already recognized that Conor McGregor was going to be well beyond a fight night card anytime soon yeah. or ever at that point, even. So there was a little bit of luster taken, but that was. Uh, Oddly enough, one of the most you know amazing moments, you know, Asling Daly, you know, coming out, and you know, fighters you get excited for. Like, no offense, even if you're a fan of Irish MMA and women's MMA, like she's not like a name that's going to jump out to you. But right. everybody was a fan right there. And with the mm -hmm. Korean Zombie one, that was one of the first. Was it like maybe even like second or third even of a five round events for the UFC for non title fights? Yeah. So it was this new thing for us. So it had an extra kind of a weird feel being uh, you know watching five round non title events. It was a new new thing for UFC fans at the time. And then you hit them over the head with that intro. And I remember watching that, Jordan. I'm getting goosebumps when you explained that. It was like, Dude. oh shit, this feels like a main event. This feels like it's for a title. Right. And it was coming right after that seven-second knockout of Mark Hominick, too. So, like, Zombie is riding this, like, high where he had just – he had had some great fights, and he lost a decision to Garcia. Then he got head-kicked by George Roop, but then he came back, and he beat Leonard Garcia by the twister. And then he knocked out Hominick in, like, seven or eight seconds up in Ontario. And so he's got some hype back going with him, and you're like, oh, fuck, this is about to go down. Because Poirier was on a tear, too, at that point. And you're like, this is a fucking fight, man. Man, that's a good one. Well – my number five is an all-time favorite fighter of mine. It it was even if I didn't see this, it's kind of a two-way one where it's 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 the same fighter but same song. But is a personal experience and an overall experience. Overall meaning that even if I didn't see this in person, which I'll get to in a second, it would make my list just because it's one of my favorite you know songs, bands, fighters, and and walkouts and. UFC 200 was a card that I was very grateful to go to, but as we know, suffered so many layers of disappointment. Almost yeah. every day of fight week was a different layer of disappointment from a fight change and, and so on and so forth, all the way up to the end, 24 hours before it. And the best part, taking away from it, there were some moments close, which hopefully I'll get to talk to you about later. But um, the best part happened actually in one of the opening bouts. Maybe if not the opening bout... Maybe not the first song, because I believe he came out second, but it was the first match. That was Gomi versus Jim fucking Miller. And I, I wrote that yeah. in my notes here. Jim fucking Miller. Bad Moon Rising. CCR. I mean, just getting excited for this guy. You know, go, going back to his, 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 his seven-fight win streak or whatever it was. You know, beating guys like Gallard and stuff and coming out and just doing his no-snarl as he pumps his chest. Like... <laughs> Just a tough motherfucker, you know, just just that tough savage coming out. Like, it just embodied him. When he started being inconsistent is also, coincidentally, when he started kind of changing his song. And see, he still has great taste. Like, I can't think it was the Hollies. I think he was come out to for a minute, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a, a great jam. Um, but, um... And now recently, he's kind of on this resurgence again, You know, even though he had a tough loss to Dustin Poirier, where he gave him a hell of a fight that I don't think a lot of people mm -hmm. thought he was going to give Dustin yeah. Poirier. But he, he brought the song back, and 
even though it goes against the analyst, you know, part of me, I like to think that it's not because of the Lyme disease. I like to think it's because of the song that Jim Miller has found his resurgence, Bad Moon Fucking Rising. And I, you know, it might have been, <laughs> it might, it might have been the whiskey that John John Rico uh, bought me before the event. It might have been the beers that Keith McKenna, who we just mentioned, bought me in the stands because he was in town for that one. But goddamn, was I enjoying myself uh, in the stands for Bad Moon Rising, Jim Miller walking out. Man, Jim Miller is, yeah, you're right. He's one of the OGs of that lightweight division back when it was first becoming this huge boom of talent. Like, Jim Miller was one of those guys. And uh, my favorite Joe Rogan quote about MMA is about Jim Miller. When Jim Miller was walking out to the ring one time, Joe Rogan said, Jim Miller is the type of guy who will fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. Dana White could call Jim Miller at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I need you to fight Godzilla. And he'd say, where? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I I remember. And uh, before I get to the Joe Silva, well, uh, this is the Joe Silva thing real quick. First of all, you know, he's one of the few guys to get like one of one of the vocal credits from Joe Silva, who's renowned mm-hmm. one of the most hard asses, most picky guys. Even if you were on Joe Silva, by the time at the end of his tenure, you were probably on his bad list. Even if you were one of the guys on his good list, and. Right. You know, the whole story of Jim Miller, you know, him offering in the last fight that Joe Silva booked for him, I believe it was Dustin Poirier at 208, because that was booked before the year 2016 went out, Joe Silva's last year. Right. And there's a story that he offers him, and he takes it, and he goes, of course you would. You're Jim fucking Miller. And yep. that's like the ultimate compliment from the hard-ass like Joe Silva. And uh, sorry, what was the thing you said before? Because it'll click what I was going to say. What was the thing you said before about... Uh, Oh, I'm just saying that you know he was one of the he's one of the guys that helped 155 get to where it is. And then the Joe Rogan quote about him, you know, wanting to if Dana oh, yes. White called him and said, "Hey, hey, I need you to fight Godzilla," you know, he'd say, "All right, where?" That's what it reminded me of. I can't remember who it was, but this is one of the first like fight companions. This is like literally like the first like I dare say even one of the first five fight companions Rogan did. And I don't know if it was probably one of the comedians like Justin Martindale or some one of the random comedians they had on there because I think they would actually do those at the comedy store for the first ones. And um, and Jim Miller was fighting for somebody, and of course Jim Miller was the underdog, but they didn't know that. I think they took the other guy because I'm guessing it was like Gallard or somebody who was like really buff and imposing, you know. Sure. And I remember like the one person, uh, uh, one of the comedians, sticks up for Jim Miller, like uh, sticks up for Jim Miller, not knowing who he is, but and says, "No, but what about the white guy though, man? I mean, look at him. That guy looks like his dad's been beating the shit out of him since he was like six years old." (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, "This is the best Jim Miller description before he's gonna fight." Like someone told me, like, "Hey, dude." That guy's dad beat the fuck out of him in the basement and just fed him like scraps of meat. I'd be like, I believe it. I believe it. He looks like an in shape Rick Steiner. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. You know, Scotty. <laughs> Sorry. That was the older fucking del- delusional WCW Rick Steiner that I just impersonated yeah. there. <laughs> it was good. But no, that's a, that's a great choice, man, because uh, I think, uh, and I'll get to uh, into it a little bit in my list too, is that one of the things that I like is when a song, you're taking it like an important song. And I think CCR is not, not only do they have important songs, they were an important band. They, they uh, influenced a ton of people and their music was profoundly uh, important and had a message to it. So I think uh, Jim Miller choosing that is, is very uh, fitting, you know, because he's a guy who's like a no nonsense guy. He means a lot more than people probably give him credit for to the division and to the UFC. So uh, that's a good pick, man. 100%. And before we jump to number four, just because you just sparked something there. Yeah, the words even as silly as that sounds. Like even when I was competing, getting ready for my first amateur MMA fight, all my mixes for training, I had a mix of like 15 songs. just got me pumped for practice. That got my mind focused for competing. And on that was Bad Moon Rising. And, you know, 
you know, you listen to the words like, hope you are quite prepared to die, like, you know, the storms right. are coming, and it's just getting you ready, yeah. like, it's a really, like, that, and then even just watching Jim Miller fights, like, I remember, I knew it was a, a guy with a wrestling base with a heavy right hand, so I remember watching, like, Jim Miller versus Kamal Shamaru Sh- 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 yeah. over and over, because I, as a southpaw, I, I, you know, I was just trying to find, I was an analyst down at the time, this is just me being analytical, just for my own good, trying to look look for things other southpaws did, and Jim Miller, you can count that he was one of the top three southpaws Dan Tom was trying to model this game after but this yeah. is nice man it's nice to have have somebody that can take over the driving seat once in a while since usually I'm going first so I'm going to keep abusing my host role and make you go first again <laughs> Jordan for number four yeah no worries number four I think this is a if you were to pull the um uh the you know not super mega fan if you're po- pulling the casual fan this might be the number one pick um because i think it would be it, it's an obvious one but i i still think it is uh pretty fitting and my number four is brock lesnar coming out to enter sandman uh specifically at ufc 100 was when i noticed wow. it the most it was a, it was a huge event ufc you, you guys remember ufc 100 is huge lead up the card was absolutely stacked it had been a great card up to that main event where he's taken on Frank Mir in the rematch after Mir had submitted him the first time. You know, we had already seen GSP fight. We had already seen Hendo knockout Bisping with one of the craziest knockouts ever. You know, we'd, we'd seen John, a young John Jones early on the card. Like, this card had been fucking insane. And then Mir comes out. Mir's looking like a badass. And then the lights go out. And whether, whether you like or love or hate Metallica, it doesn't matter. You can't deny how influential and important the song enter sandman is and how literally every single person who's listened to a radio in the last 25 years would can identify that song within 10 seconds within but probably five seconds that that opening guitar riff and the lights go out and you hear that guitar riff and lesnar it was one of those guys that you think you know it's kind of a gimmick at first but then you're like holy shit this guy's actually good like he's a, a legit wrestler, crazy athlete, big strong dude. And then you know, the, as the song builds, you see him come out. The he's got almost the strobe lights going, and it's just it, it, it's an experience. That's crazy, and that gets everyone in the mood for that main event. And you knew it was about to fucking go down. And then Brock Lesnar went out and just beat the bejesus out of Frank Mir, uh, who you know I love Frank Mir, but uh, so yeah, my number four is is uh, is kind of a specific one. Is Brock Lesnar at UFC 100 coming out in the dim lights to Metallica's Enter Sandman blasting and uh, every single bro in the audience losing their fucking mind. And and that's so crazy, man. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and secondly, you know, it's crazy because you say bro because it's true. It's a very bro, not very uh, imaginative walkout for it to have such a strong right. effect, you know? And I'm, a, yeah. and I'm a Metallica fan, man, Like, and I'm more of a Kill em All fan. This Enter right. Sandman was more like me and my metal friends were like, oh, this is what... You know, so you put in the weight room, you're lifting weights or something. I put it on them, but right. you know, I'm more more jam out to Enter Sandman and uh, or not Enter Sandman, like Master of Puppets or Kill 'Em All or yeah. Ride the Lightning. And yeah. also, you know, coming from wrestling, having that showmanship era, and then of course mixed martial arts, which I'm sure we'll visit on our list with you know me and you being appreciative of the showmanship angle. He really didn't re- rely on that. And granted, of course UFC couldn't facilitate it like Pride, but re- regardless, he just came out the typical tough white dude look with a tough look on his face, a beanie and. Exactly. Playing some metal, you know, like how many guys do it? It's the most cliche walkout. But Brock Lesnar, even if you were a detractor, going, I can't wait to see this guy. This guy has got nothing. You were like, oh, right. he's fucking serious. Like you believed right. it, whether you you were a detractor or not. You know, you believed it, and I, I, I'm getting chills down my spine because 
My number four, which I'm not going to get to quite yet, uh, I just want to pay this its due. It is also from UFC 100, and I'm I, like I said, I had a hard nice. time picking because I was like, oh, so I'm glad I did because yours is from UFC 100. But the one that nixed it was uh, a UFC 200 pick. And the okay. reason why I'm bringing that up is because my contribution to the Brock Lesnar one at UFC 200 again, there was not a, a, a lot when you got to the main card. You you know I was kind, you know, kind of deflated and you know I, I'm a Vegas local and I don't you know I, I got to, I didn't get to go to 100. And I was really bummed I couldn't get tickets to it. So to go to 200, I wasn't gonna let it. You know I didn't want to be one of those people that's like I'm just gonna blindly wave it because I'm on this team. But at the same time, you can't you not enjoy your fucking time. You gotta be be, be, be yeah. happy to be there. And but I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bummed on the inside. There was a quiet voice because again, there were so many changes to that card. But there were, you know, two. I'll leave the other one out in case he comes up later. But there were two on the main card where it was just like, oh my god, this is the, this is the entrance that I've heard for years. And it's kind of weird to say that yeah. with Brock Lesnar because he had he didn't have that many fights in retrospect compared to a lot right. of legends that are probably on our list. But it was one of those iconic ones, and I just remember yeah. getting into it. Like, I wasn't even—I didn't even think I was excited for Mark Hunt for Brock Lesnar, you know, much less the Brock yeah. Lesnar portion of it. I didn't know what to expect. Like it was the most freak show, random late edition element, and I was just—I was acting like I was—I've been waiting for it. I'm like, I didn't even right. realize I was waiting to hear this all my life, but this is badass. I, everything about it, like you, you summed it up perfectly. Everything about it shouldn't work because it's so cliche. It's d- this very generic metal song that's you know super popular. Everyone knows it. Like if you had to poll ten people who you say, hey, you don't know anything about MMA, what song do you think this guy walks out to? They're like, uh, I don't know, Metallica, probably Enter Sandman. Like, yep, that's exactly what it is. What do you think an MMA fighter looks like? They describe roughly Brock Lesnar, big white guy, uh, really straight cut hair, tattoos everywhere, probably looks like a racist not saying he is but just saying he probably looks like a racist they're like yeah that's basically what brock lesnar looks like uh do you think he's gonna wear a beanie with like barbed wire on it yeah probably uh is he sponsored by is he sponsored by beef jerky yeah absolutely it shouldn't work it's everything that should be stupid and silly but it's fucking awesome when the lights go out and you hear that intro to metallica's enter sandman and you're like oh shit this is crazy. Why am I getting goosebumps? Why am I excited about Brock fucking Lesnar? But I'm excited about it. One hundred percent. And let's stay again. Let's stay on UFC 100. This is my one hipster pick, but it's really not that much of a hipster pick, Jordan, because there are some picks that whether they make sense or they don't, they stick with you, right? They stick with you from whatever reason. And again, I'm a huge showmanship person, and that's probably going to show through in later picks and honorable mentions. I'm all about the production, and that was always kind of one knock on the UFC is that you know they were kind of limited in what they could do. And yeah. this one is not a notable fighter. In fact, this might have been the only time he came out to this song, so it wasn't like a notable fighter coming out to a notable song. But this fight won Fight of the Night, and the song, ironically made sense with the words because of how the outcome because it was a bit of a controversial outcome and that was Alan Belcher coming out to Bob Dylan's Hurricane versus Yoshihiro Akiyama and what was the fight it was fight a great fight great fight that was the step off the cage Superman punch you saw like mm-hmm. moves that weren't seen in MMA that everybody were, were mimicking after that and this was Alan even if you weren't a fan of Alan Belcher like this was Alan Belcher in his prime too like this was the one kind of loss and hiccup in what was a run because early Alan Belcher was like him showing up in his tie shorts and his shaved head and trying to be a jackass where he would have fights won but would want to showboat and be like you know what I want to put this guy away with a spinning elbow and, would, would, and make the stupidest decisions and lose fight what was yeah. a clearly athletic and talented dude hence the talent Belcher and he right. would make these questionable decisions questionable tattoos even right he had the Johnny yes. Cash tattoo at this point already and 
But he he had this run where he was beating you know guys like you know like uh, Cote and other dudes, and he ended up having that yep. eye injury, Sally, that 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 essentially prematurely ended his career. He might have Fuck, won. fucked his career. Yeah, yeah. He came back, tried to have one fight. You could tell he was in his own head, never fought again. Yeah, I mean he had Husamar Paul Harris, not just beating him, but was he beat the shit out of Husamar Paul Harris and let him get deep on his legs. Yeah. Guys that beat yeah. him were guys that didn't let Husamar Paul Harris get to their legs. Like right. if you got yeah. to his legs in a grappling tournament or MMA fight, it was done. Even to this day, right. even to this day, it's still hard. To to find those examples of guys yeah. surviving the leg locks and Belcher was just he released videos on YouTube of how he was going to do it in technique videos and showing it yep. and he went and just did it and he just beat him down and on the then, ground and then elbowed him in the face 400 times yeah it was just brutal but <laughs> but uh Alan Belcher and again not one of my top favorite fighters of all time but a guy at this run was really endearing to me that song the whole by the way awesome movie Denzel Washington the Hurricane if you haven't seen yeah. that uh, based on a true story of course and, uh, you know, a, a song obviously about injustice, just to put in a nutshell, and obviously not as big of an injustice, a UFC decision. It's, a, it's an injustice of many. It's not a prison sentence, but uh, ironically appropriate, ironically apropos. Yeah, it's good. It's a good pick, man. I, I One thing when researching this list, I guess I'll say because I agree with everything you said. Uh, one thing I, I kind of realized when researching this list is that a lot of fighters – have great taste in music, man. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, Bob Dylan's obviously iconic and hurricane is one of his better known songs and it should be cause it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very apropos song. If you're listening to it in the folk genre, you know, this genre that's risen up out of injustice and is trying to shine a light on, on different social issues. And, uh, I I like that when guys can use that, uh, in, in like, it's interesting that guys can use these, uh, these, songs that have these messages that are kind of bigger than what's going on right now. And I, I think it can it can suck and fail, and it can really work. And that's one of the times I think it worked well. Absolutely. And again, there's not a lot of... Um you know, drama or production you can add. It's essentially just a guy running yeah. out, giving a bunch of high fives with arms swarming around him if you're beloved. And maybe it's a punk's yep. era that we're from. One of the guys I picture, that classic, the, the fan swarming and the guy with his hands out, you picture Rich, Rich, Rich Ace Frank, Franklin. There's, yeah, there's, Franklin, there's, yeah. There's a crazy highlight that just seems like to be embedded in our heads if you're from that era. And I get that when I picture this Alan Belcher one. I don't know why. It's just stuck in my head, the song. It's just one of those weird ones that just clicks. So that was my number four. But Jordan... Let's go to number three. If you don't mind, you mind staying in the driver's seat or? Not at all, man. All right, man. Um, yeah, my, my number three. So I think one one thing I tried to decide when, when filtering down my list was I like songs that either A, describe the person or the setting. So like a guy uh, that's using – a guy or a girl that's using a song that's like deeply personal and either means something to them or it says something about them as a fighter or the fight itself. Or I like someone that's using it to use the atmosphere. Like I think uh, Ashley Daly is a good example. She used that perfectly because the atmosphere was 100 percent on her side already everyone's singing this irish song this one falls in the first category this song represents this fighter this is jeremy stevens at ufc 189 coming out to easy E's real motherfucking g's and it's uh not only is it a great song uh it's you know uh, early west coast rap when it was starting to get big easy e nwa all those guys starting to blow up uh the song essentially is about uh guys who uh, it's easy to talk shit it's easy to talk a big game it's easy to uh go around and uh try to prove yourself as this big guy uh this tough motherfucker without actually doing anything you know what jeremy stevens says i'm a real motherfucking g i'm gonna stand in this octagon and sling fucking leather and that's what he does man and at ufc 189 that's what he did like so uh it's uh it's actually one of my favorite clips of an intro because as soon as the song starts 
you can see two of the security guards like, oh, is this dude really coming out to EZE, real motherfucking G's? And they start laughing kind of, but Jeremy Stevens is getting hyped up. He's clapping his hands, he's rapping along. And then by the time he got there, uh, I, I think that's one that might go over a lot of people's heads because it's it's easy to play off uh, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna make a blanket statement here. It's easy for white people to play off rap music as something that's just uh, nonsensical and doesn't have a message, and it's just oh, it's just uh, gangsters making music that rhymes and they put girls in bikinis, but. A lot of times the music has a message just as much. It, it may not come from your perspective or your culture, but music has a message and Eazy's all his songs have messages, whether you like them or they, they resonate with you. It doesn't matter. But that song, I think, is perfectly fitting for Jeremy Stevens, who is, again, a really tough guy who is always down to scrap. And he is a real motherfucking G. So that's mine. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, UFC 189, real motherfucking G. Hey, 100% and like songs that fit a person. And it was weird because like I remember that in Ring Entrance, I remember that card and I definitely it 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 definitely hit with me, but as far as that song, like I actually had that thought that like this song fits that guy, but not at the 189. It was after um was it UFC Vegas, uh Garbrandt fought Almeida yeah. and he, yeah, Stevens fought Burrell. Right. And afterwards um uh I was hanging out with uh uh, my friends from uh, Junkie Radio and, and Stitch Duran, and we went to this place. Uh, it's just a little like bar, or whatever, called like Eye Candy or whatever. And like some of the fighters were having their after parties there. Uh, what's his name? That athletic dude from Ohio, that heavyweight guy, who just fought Curtis Blades, got his knee bl- blown out. He was having a good old time. He just won. He just bought. He just beat Chris De La Hocha, and uh, Jeremy Stevens shows up for his. And it was actually just really genuine. Like you know, Cup. It was, it was cool actually. Like Cup Swanson showed up and they had a moment. And you could tell it was just his friends and family. And yeah, he had a suit on or whatever. But he wasn't like clubbing or being crazy or drunk or doing like he was just having a good time, appreciating himself and this and that. But I remember looking over at Stevens and I just thought of his entrance song and I was like, God damn, that song's appropriate. That guy <laughs> got some motherfucking G. Like it just it just fit. So it was kind of a weird like moment that I thought maybe I was just crazy for having a click. But if it makes my man Jordan's top five list, well, I guess I'm not crazy for thinking that song fits Jeremy Stevens. No. No, you're right. He's a G, man. This dude started fighting in 2005 when he was like 17 years old. Like he's been around for so long. If you think of Jeremy Stevens, you're like, oh, this guy's been fighting in the UFC for over a decade. He's got to be 40. Uh, no, you're wrong. He just turned 31. Oh, yeah. He's a quint- just turned and he's, yeah. he's a quintessential underdog, too, which, you know, I love me some yeah. underdogs, but he's also like that. He's that guy. Like, he's always in the fight, even when he's the dog, and he's the dog most of the times. So I think Jeremy Stevens and- has been an underdog in like seven of his last nine fights or something crazy. Yeah, and also that fight the, at UFC 189 was one of the craziest fights of all time. It it somehow oh, yeah. uh, it, it it didn't win fight of the night only because Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald was on the same same card. But uh, Stevens Bermudez is a fucking war if you watch go back and watch that fight. So I think that intro when he's ho hyped, listening that he yeah you know what I am a real motherfucking G listening coming out to that and then standing in the middle of the cage and trading leather for three rounds man and ending it with a flying knee. So, yeah, he's a fucking G. Oh, shit. I'm looking back right now at my records. I'm like, did that make my top five featherweight wars? Because it was one of those stable fights that was always on there. Maybe I might have changed it at 11th hour to talk about something different because it didn't. But Stevens Bermudez is usually one of those, like, staple top five featherweight wars of all yeah. time. And if it didn't happen the same night as McDonald's fucking Lawler, then it yeah. would have been a fight of the year shoo-in. You know, if it didn't yeah, happen that absolutely. same night, you know, same year even. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a that's a great one. All right. My number three... Uh, I almost feel bad picking this one because it's just it's so goddamn obvious. But it's it, again, you want to talk about list staples? I couldn't leave this one on there. 
Um, it represents the showmanship, the Japanese era, which I keep kind of cheating to. But this is more of the goofy side to it. Jordan, if this is on your list, uh, I'm sorry and feel free to double dip. But I had to go to Dream 4 and I had to go to Mayhem Miller's fight with Jacare Silva, which it being, it being commentated by Michael Chevello makes it even better. I think it wouldn't have been yeah. half as good if you didn't have Michael Chevello literally losing his crap. Like, I don't know if Chevello's into Japanese girls, but like, I think he's into Japanese girls just by hearing his, <laughs> hearing the way he intros it. He goes, living my dream! Or whatever. He says it like, you can tell like he genuinely, it's one of those things where you're being entertaining, you're, you're upping it by ten, you know, as, as great commentators often do, but there's also right. a little bit of, there's also a little bit of truth in there. A little bit of Chevello sure. really appreciated that Mayhem Miller coming out with the schoolgirls. And this is Mayhem Miller. It's sad kind of now. We've seen the, the retrogression, the, the police standoffs, all these very sad things. But like Mayhem Miller was like, I remember, I mean, I had like Mormon friends that were like, they didn't follow MMA that much, but they like Mayhem Miller and Mayhem Monkeys yeah. and, you know, MTV too. He reached this whole other audience. He was also one of the few writers mm-hmm. or fighters who was also a writer. He would write for Fight Magazine, was pretty talented. Like, he was yeah. a guy where you're like, oh, this guy's going to have fucking options when he's done fighting. And I don't want to turn this into the wow, the money fell from grace, but that is a part of the story. But at this time, though, Mayhem Miller was at the top of his game. I agree, man. I, it got bumped from my list, but it was on there initially, so it's in my honorable mentions. Uh, you could almost name any single Mayhem Miller introduction pre UFC. You know, when he's out there being able to do his thing, because he's he's one of the ultimate showmen. And yeah, it, it's honestly, I guess I'll just say this: I hope Mayhem gets some help. He needs some help because he's a super talented guy, super bright guy. Uh, that I think, yeah, could do anything he wants to do because he was great. He hosted a TV show. How many MMA fighters right now do you think could honestly host a TV show and do it pretty damn well? Because Mayhem was really good at it. So I, I, I honestly don't think there's that many guys that could pull it off the way he did. So, so I mean, Mayhem, uh, I, he was a very good fighter. Uh, I mean, shit, he almost beat Jake. He almost choked out Jake Shields. Do yeah, you remember that? I remember that. Yeah. I was losing my shit. Saved by the bell, literally, literally saved by the bell. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, uh, Mayhem was a super talented fighter. Always had intro- entertaining intros, and uh, I hope he gets some help because I really like him still, and I'd like to see him do other things outside of MMA. Me too. And the sad part is, I hope he realized that, if in, in the sense of if it helps him, you know, get better. But more yeah. importantly, as much as easy as it is, and I'm not defending anything he's done, by the way, and nor, sure. nor, nor do I have a you know only a certain amount of sympathy for somebody who has opportunities, obviously. But I, too, am a fan, and regardless of not being a fan anymore, obviously, um, from the more sympathetic aspect of mental health and how we're kind of correlating brain trauma and we're watching guys make, yeah. uh, you know, without bringing up too much of Tim Hager, Matt Hughes, but we're seeing questionable decisions in different ways yeah. in and out of the ring and there's a lot of signs it's pointing to head trauma so this could be an epidemic that we're facing and sadly i wish this weren't the case i wish mayhem you know was just an odd guy we'd be like oh look at what that guy did but sadly right. he's not the only one so hopefully um he does get help and people are a little more forgiving and a little more helpful more importantly to fighters yeah. uh and understanding of their situations because man these guys sacrifice i think more than they know and certainly more than we know um, to, yeah. to be able to, to give us these memories that we can ha- talk about here on the show. 
To end it on a light note, I bet he has a good story about shitting his pants. Oh, I bet you he has plenty of shit stories from him <laughs> and other parties. But the, that's neither here nor, nor there. That's either here nor there. But the, that was a classic. Uh, speaking of shit, that was a classic <coughs> Japanese. That was a classic Japanese entrance. Um, um, and and, and I, I could not have that one not on my list. So that brings us to number two, my friend. What do you got? What do you got? All right, for us? No, number. Uh, just a, a Japanese entrance is also something you typically have to pay a lot of money for. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like the Japanese entrance, please. Uh, <laughs> cost you uh, my, my my number two uh, may be on your list. I think this might be the first crossover, but we'll see. Just because I think that it might be the best song on my list, just like my personal favorite. Uh, and also it. This is another one that I associate the song with the fighter so clearly, and I think a lot of people do. And this isn't a specific one. This is just the fighter in the song because he always comes out the same one. And it's Frankie Edgar coming out to Biggie. Biggie. And because you hear the, the Biggie, dun, 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 dun. And then Frankie Edgar, you know he's running his ass to the octagon. And it's like, oh, shit. And Frankie literally runs. He runs from the back to the octagon every single time. And that's so indicative of him. The song kicks in. It's upbeat. It's bumping. It's biggie. It's East Coast. It's Frankie Edgar to a T, man. And it gets him out there and it gets him piped. And I think it gets a lot of people hyped. So I don't have a lot to say about that one. I just think it's perfectly fitting. And Frankie did a good job of finding a song that, A, kicks fucking ass. And B, fits his personality perfectly. Man, 100%. I'm glad you brought this up on, on your list because... A, Biggie Smalls, for, for all y'all to know, if you didn't know already, uh, Dan Tom's favorite hip-hop artist, uh, East Coast hip-hop uh, all day. If you thought I was hating on East Coast before, oh, no, no. I'd take East Coast over West Coast, and I have more residency record on the West Coast between Hawaii and Vegas, you know. But uh, but no, I, I'm Biggie all day. And then two, you know, there were running, there was emotional, there was a lot of energy going to the octagon or the ring or whatever, right, in, in our selections and our homework. But when it comes to running to the... To do a fight? Come on. No, but Frankie Edgar is number one. Nobody owns the run to the octagon, to the cage, to the ring, or whatever. Nobody runs and owns that association like Frankie Edgar. He definitely deserves to be on this list. And, and sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I think it. I- no, I was just going to say, I think it can come off as cheesy sometimes. I think a lot of guys see Frankie do it. And they start. They do the little jog to the octagon too. And I, I think it could come off as really cheesy when other, when some other people do it. I'm not gonna name names, but I've seen other guys <laughs> who do this like little pseudo jog. They get half the way and then they start walking maybe. But like Frankie, it's like he can't wait to get in there. Like he's chomping at the bit to get in there and get punched in the face. That's how fucking insane mm. and tough and awesome Frankie Edgar is. And we should cherish that fucking guy because there's not a lot of people that are so goddamn amped to get in there and trade leather and beat people up like Frankie Edgar is. MMA's Robert De Niro, little Bobby D. Yeah. That's what he yeah. wants. But, but yeah, man, and, and, and not even worried about his gas tank one bit. And once again, no. our, our list has parallels, my friend, because your number two is Frank Yedger. And mine, yeah, that's right, mine is BJ Penn. And I originally nice. wasn't going to have him on this list. Um, and I got to give a shout out, uh, a little premature um, submissions and transition, if you will, to another Another frequent guest of the show, Daniel Levy, at Best Fight Picks. Uh, that was one of his, was old school BJ Penn was his contribution as a whole. And again, as a whole, kind of seems like the right way if you're going to have BJ Penn as a pick. But mine, actually, yeah. the reason why BJ Penn made my list, you know, aside from, you know, it seemed almost too predictable, but was because this is a specific moment. This is kind of a unique entrance of his. 
and was one I didn't get to witness. Um, in 2006, I worked a valet job. I was working a valet job at the time for you know Caesar's Palace, uh, and uh, I remember trying to get that night off when UFC 63 happened, and it was BJ Penn oh, Matt used to. And my yeah. friends that got me in MMA at the time were, were watching all my friends from my band. My buddy I just mentioned, Steve Cruz there. Shout out. He was, uh, it, you know, he was like, come on, man, you got to get it off. And I was just kind of, you know, getting into MMA at the time. And, you know, he, he introduced me to BJ Penn. He's like, oh, dude, you're going to shit yourself. There's a, there's a guy that's like your size, a Hawaiian dude. He's mopping the scene, yo. Of course, I became a BJ Penn fan, but I couldn't make this because I was not just a valet runner. I was a door guy. So I'd hand the tickets. I'd be the one right. hustling for money and this and that. And unfortunately, when you're in that position or you're good at your job, your boss isn't going to let you let you go early. So I kind of already – it was at the point, of the point of the night where I accepted I wasn't going to get an early out and I'm just kind of parking you know, the cars up at front. And luckily, you know, we get to deal with a lot of the nice cars up there, real high end. And I was driving one of my first Bentleys. My first Bentley, if you listen to, I think, top five KO lists uh, – or kick KOs, I should say, was uh, I, it was Tito Ortiz Bentley actually when he was dating Jenna Jameson. Mm. That dates it. It was the first Bentley I drove, but this was just some random schmoes Bentley, and I'd get in, and you'd be working these long nights, and for a second you'd get in these really like nice cars, Jordan. You'd pretend for a second, like what if I own this car? You you you'd blast the music, you know, you kind of get lost, especially when it's slower at the end of the night. And there'd, there'd be these, these moments where I kind of forget about my job. I'm sure we all do this when we're in a job, and we think about where we'd rather be. And ironically, Charles sure. Barkley was on the radio, and this song just came out, like it was popping, right? <laughs> Like it just yeah. 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 I think I'm crazy. I'm not gonna sing it, but you know what song I'm talking about. And it's coming on, and I remember just kind of looking at this nice, like, display in the Bentley luxury thing, pretending that I owned it for a split second, and listening to this song, wishing, man, I wish I was just rolling up in this car, going into the MGM so I could watch this goddamn fight. Little did I know, at that same time, while Dan Tom's listening to Narles Barkley, which for whatever reason triggered him to thinking about the BJ Penn fight. BJ Penn, who never used that song before or since, never uses his Hawaiian music, and I'm sure I'll probably it transitioned. I'll, yeah, it's a beautiful transition, and and and, and I'll, yeah. knowing me, I'll probably edit it into the background here. But you have that classic Israel Kamokea, you know, entrance where it's the slow kind of guitar creep in with the slow slow operatic voice. He's slowly singing you in, and then bum 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 bass hits. I remember when. Our, and he comes mm-hmm. in, and not only is this, this is a badass, even hear Joe Rogan in, in, in the background, which again, if I, if I, if I edit it in here, you'll hear him go, he'll go, oh, that's a walkout, ladies and gentlemen. I just came back from Hawaii, and he's going off, right, talking about, he's like, this guy's a hero, and da-da-da, and he goes, and it's this crazy walkout, but here's what makes this walkout extra special, especially of the modern era, maybe before then, like the no-rules era, where there's no gloves, you had this in the UFC, but even in, like, you know, Pride or Japan, by the time they got into the ring, they were declothed. BJ Penn gets his Vaseline put on with his shirt, and he goes to step in with a long sleeve shirt, not just a t-shirt. And you see yeah. the guy, it wasn't even, a, 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 McCarthy was refereeing it, but the referee or official that was in charge of the Grease Down Station was a, a guy that mm-hmm. I don't even recognize, put it that way. So he wasn't like a, a name I could I could reference to you, but he stops BJ and puts his hand like, what are you doing? Like your shirt pointing and then you see people around him going, like, let, that's BJ Penn, like, making the noise, like, no, no, let him do it. And then BJ Penn kind of just turns and looks at him when he puts his hand on it. And the, guy, the guy's hand goes up and goes, okay. And then BJ Penn just <laughs> walks into the ring like a boss. I'm going to wear my fucking shirt. I don't care if it's against the rules. I'm BJ Penn. And you see, of course, when he gets in there, that guy was worried. But G- Big John McCarthy, not worried at all. And, you know, when the, when the fighters go to the entrance, the, the, they do the repeat of the rules. You actually hear the mic on, and McCarthy just goes, all right, BJ, I'm just going to say if you're ready. And then that's, that's all I'm going to bug you for the rest of the fight. Cool? 
cool. And that's it. And he just walks away. And BJ Penn <laughs> is just sitting there with his T-shirt on. And of course, by the time Buffer announced it, the T-shirt's off. But again, just just proving a different era, proving how special that motherfucker was. Do you uh, have any weigh-ins or relevance on this one, uh, Jordan? That's it. That's a perfect one. I mean, BJ's on my honorable mentions, and yeah, I wrote, I even wrote sixty three next to it because yeah, that that was the coolest one. Like he comes out to Bretta is every time, but like that transition where it goes to the Gnarls Barkley song, it was like, oh shit, that's fucking cool. I, I'm surprised he never did it again. Maybe maybe BJ's kind of superstitious, and he ended up losing that fight, even though it was a great fight. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know, but yeah, it was it was awesome. I agree. That's a that's a great pick, man. And again, you want to talk about songs? Uh, the point you brought up so beautifully, songs identifying with a fight. This was yeah. BJ Penn then, and sadly, sadly, it was kind of the story of his career till now. You know, crazy. You know, I remember when I lost my mind and just kind of trying to yeah. trying to go, trying to refine yourself and try to find that 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 monster, that fire that once was. So it was kind of crazy, a poetic that is. Absolutely, man. You're right. It's a it's a it's a it's a good one because uh, you associate like. I'll also say this. I don't associate any fighter with where they're from more than BJ Penn as right. well. I think maybe maybe Connor in Ireland, but it's it, they're 1A and 1B. Connor in Ireland and uh, BJ and Hawaii. Those are like the two I think of. This is where a guy's from. The music is like, you know, uh, uh, Israel is like very – like you, you are, you know, you're Hawaiian, so you know this. But for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Israel is huge there. He's a very important person. He was a very philanthropic person. He's very important to the – to the Hawaiian people in the Hawaiian music scene specifically, man, he did a lot of he opened a lot of doors for a lot of people, and everyone knows his cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But he's got a t- you know a huge catalog of music, and uh, and so like I think it's it's apropos that you know a guy who's probably the most famous uh, ho- uh, musician from uh, from Hawaii, and then the most famous fighter from Hawaii is you know that's the you you correlate them together. One hundred percent. And before I fire it over to you for the number one, just one more BJ Penn moment. Uh, and, and unique entrance was the Rumble on the Rock entrance when he fought Rodrigo Gracie oh, yeah. with the Hula Girls, and he comes yeah. out and he's taken. It's one of my favorite BJ Penn highlights by Hypnotic. Got taken down from YouTube. Can find it on Vimeo. Um, he's taking <laughs> off his shirt as he's walking to the Hula Dancers, and the fire's going up. And That's that was cool. badass because during the fight, like I actually own that DVD, that Rumble on the Rock. That's like like second or third round. Like the cameraman is on the fight, but a fight breaks out in the audience, which is not abnormal. That happens at almost every MMA event. Always, but since it's fucking Hawaii, and I love Hawaii. I am Hawaiian, so provide. So forgive me for this, especially the accent. <laughs> but the cameraman stops. The BJ fucking Penn is fighting a Gracie. Stops, moves the camera over to the fight <laughs> in the audience, and records that. Almost like you could hear him saying, "Hey guys, try for wait one second. We got we got one fight in the audience, huh?" <laughs> Oh, guys, pause for one second. Uh, you guys scrapping over here. Whoa. And then he just stops. And you literally see the whole fight play out to like a few seconds after security finally breaks it up. Then the guy goes back and the round's ending. Like, BJ Penn and Gra- Yeah, one second, guys. There is a crowd scrap going on here. And that's actually on the DVD by just a little Easter egg. So It's probably nine-year-old Louis Smolka just throwing fucking hands. Yeah. Fucking getting Max Holloway throwing popcorn on the yeah. both the guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Funny. That's funny. All you right. know, I want to turn around to you. I want you to yeah. go first for number one. I've been going first the whole time. I want you to go no- go first. God damn it. All right. I'm wondering if we're going to have crossover here, Jordan. This is this is my goodness. I mean, I, I cheated. I, I cheated into it. I led into it. Japan showmanship. You're playing the drums. And that's almost perfect. There's no drums in maybe the song, but goddamn, is it epic? 
And it captures the martial arts spirit, the, I dare say, samurai spirit. You know, there's few guys from BJ Penn to, to Ensign Inoue who you believe them when they say, I'm going in here and I'm ready to die. And uh, even though this wasn't this fighter's thing, you believed Yoshihiro Akiyama was ready to die because, god damn, he came in. I don't know how samurais went into battle. There's no footage of that. But I got to imagine it's something close, or at least, you know, Dan Tom's going to... The childhood part of him is going to allow this to be my imagination. Has to look like Yoshihiro Akiyama going into war. You, you, the classic Bocelli, you know, time to say goodbye. And you listen to the words of it. Like, it's a very classical song, which, by the way, apparently is still one of the highest-priced shows to go see, see them uh, when they come through Vegas. Um, you, you, this classical song you wouldn't associate with combat, but he's saying goodbye to everybody. And this one specifically happened at K1 Dynamite. Bellator is trying to bring back Dynamite. But the original Dynamite was in K1, baby. This was 2006. And Akiyamo's fighting Sakuraba, who already entered the Sakuraba, ring. Sakuraba, yeah. Yep. And, and, and this is his crazy... It's beautiful, elaborate for that K1 Dynamite, which you know I'll probably touch on because an honorable mention will come will come come from this very same show. And then this really beautiful, elaborate in Saitama Super Arena, eighty thousand people, and he comes out with his whole whole contingent of students of judo judo students in their mm-hmm. knees. And he, they do their kneeling thing in a triangle formation, like the, a giant Mighty Ducks army. And they bow to the stage. And then Akiyama stands yeah. up leading the bow, stands up leading the stand, turns around, stands everybody up, bows to them, turns. And he would do this in the UFC, and you could almost see him having tears in his eyes when he did it because he was so much into it. And people would make fun of it because it was like this, you know, oh, this, ooh, this Japanese guy in a gi, what a pussy, you know, or whatever. Like that typical, you know, American kind of toward that type of fighter and then you have this kind of song that's not a masculine song by any means so if you were watching in like a casual room maybe in 2009 or 2010 when Akiyama made it to the UFC there'd be a couple people that were distracted like what the fuck is this guy but you see that he's he's tearing in his eyes there's real emotion there because you know movie star every reason this guy has to phone it in Japan and fixing fights all the stereotypes and things this guy could be a part of you could see that, oh shit, this guy's not banking on any of that right now. He is a fucking warrior. And then when he would come in there, even facing diversity, Vitor Belfort or other guys, he was still hitting like a fucking truck. And, uh, mm-hmm. and god damn, that is just, you want to talk epic Japanese showman, everything. Yoshihiro Yakiyama, go look it up. YouTube, they have it, thankfully, one of the few interests they have for Sakuraba. That's my number one, Jordan. That's a fantastic number one. The only reason I did not put that on my list because I <clears throat> I sat down. The way I do my lists is I start at number one and I work back. Nice. Right? So, like, when I thought of the best ones, that one was the first one that came to my mind mixed with my number one, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought if I can't justify this at number one, I don't want to put it on my list because I, I am almost positive Dan is going to put it on his list because I feel like this deserves to be number one and I don't want to put it behind anything, as silly as that may sound. No, that's awesome. Uh, the the way that you described that was so perfect because I remember I didn't see a ton of Akiyama when he was fighting in Japan because it was hard to, it was hard to to watch you know as a as a, somebody in landlocked uh, rural United States like I you know I wasn't able to to check out a lot of the K ones I've since gone back and watched them but my first introduction to Akiyama was when he signed with the UFC I had to go back and I was like watching his fights on online and stuff like that so. 
yeah, I remember the first time I watched him fight and he comes out in his gi and he kneels and he's got the Andrea Bocelli uh, song going in the background and he's bowing to everyone. I'm like, this is weird. It's different. I've never seen something like this. And the more I thought about it and the more times I saw it, the more times I really grew to respect it because you're right. If, if we're boiling this down to the most primal version of this, these are two men about to go to war. They're going to war to each other to see who can conquer the other. And that is such an emotional thing when you think about it. And throughout history, you're right, man. I We don't know what samurai life was like, but I like to think that, you know, they, they knew that there was a good chance they weren't coming home when they rode off to go to war. When they rode off to fight, they knew that. So, like, coming out to a song like Time to Say Goodbye and he's being so, uh, so respectful and full of honor towards everyone, even his opponent and the people there to pay to watch him fight, you know, it's it's one of those things that, like, in recent times, I've become – with age, I've become more sentimental and I've become more emotional to things because you you gain more perspective on life as you get older. You know, you have more experiences to fall back on. You, you're you able to fathom things in a different way than 18-, 19-year-old, uh, you know, yourself would do. So I remember, like, last year watching Akiyama come out. I think it was the UFC 100 uh, actually, when he came out, when he was fighting Belcher, and he came out and he's in his gi and he gets down and he's bowing, and like Rogan almost sounds like he's got tears in his eyes when he's talking about it, and like I get that now because I'm thinking about it and like I'm starting to tear up. I'm like, this is a fucking warrior. This is the absolute. This guy embodies the warrior spirit more than anyone else in this fucking sport. Like he, he's doing it the right way, and yeah, I wish I could have seen that earlier. But you know, when you're young, you don't uh, necessarily you're, you don't have all the tools to comprehend that. But it's that's such a good pick because I think you're dead on, man. Like that's the, it's the true warrior spirit. It's what this is boiled down to. Any form of of a combat sport is what it's boiled down to, and it's respect. And uh, and man, Akiyama does not get the credit that he deserves, man. He's been in there with some of the baddest killers in the world watch his fucking fight with melvin manhoof that's a fight that oh, not a lot of people Jesus. have seen melvin came out throwing goddamn sledgehammers just fucking rocked akiyama in his gi akiyama's in his gi manhoof's in these tight little shorts throwing leg kicks throwing uppercuts and he hurts akiyama bad and then akiyama gets in fucking sweet ass judo toss I, you know i'm not super familiar with judo so i don't know all the technical terms so i'll say it like this it was a fucking badass judo toss and he he, he mounted uh, Manhope and then armbarred him, and it was fucking awesome. So uh, it, that's a great pick, man. Akiyama does not get enough credit. 100%. And, and again, with the warrior thing, and you know, we don't know samurais, but what we do know, sadly, and again, not to glorify or, or sadden the mood, but it, it's relevantly speaking with the Tim Hegg thing. You know, this is still a very violent sport. Like, it sounds like, oh, Absolutely. I'm ready to go in there and die. Like, no, there, there is truth to that. Whether or not you want to believe that fighter is up to you, but that doesn't change the fact that their life is on the line, whether they're going to promote it in their showmanship of walkout or, or speech or not. That doesn't change the fact that they're sacrificing something that's unfathomable to most people that most people will never or would want to ever sacrifice. And, and two, um, you know... Uh, with the hand holding and the reason why that would kind of you know generate laughs depending on what room of audience you're with, how many dudes you're with, right? Sure. But, but that thing with the samurai, a, a little history lesson, like the samurai, you know, they weren't all about holding hands and like you know they weren't making out with each other or anything, but they embraced stuff that would you know quote unquote emasculate your typical man of today. Like they embraced yeah. flowers, for example, because 
whether it's holding the hand of your comrade who he was going to watch your back in battle or embracing and appreciating a flower, this wasn't sissy stuff to them because what that represented was the delicacy of life. Appreciating your friends, and the flowers represented that fragility of life because they've taken life or or have seen life taken and know that it's inevitable for them that it, it makes you live with a certain amount of respect. Now, in today's society, we live in the most violent, least violent of times. We thankfully don't have yeah. to live with those ideals, but if anybody right. comes close, yes, it is the modern-day fighter. So, man, Jordan, I, on that note, what, what is your number one, sir? That, that, I like your, your, your process, by the way. Thank you for that, and I'm excited to yeah. be your number one. It, you know, it, that actually transitions pretty well. I'm not the most um, – I, I want to be careful the way I phrase this because I'm not anti-military in any regard. But I'm not one of the guys who just because I see something is like military, I'm not like, oh, that's automatically the best, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, obviously I respect and support uh, the military, the sacrifices everybody makes, men and women of the, the armed forces, all that good stuff. Um, so this one might be a surprise to people who know me because – uh, I'm not a huge fan of this fighter, even, but I think this is the most poignant walkout, and it's Tim Kennedy at UFC 178 coming out to Rooster by Allison Chains. Um, that is a song. If you got like, first of all, Allison Chains is a tremendously underrated, underappreciated band in that grunge scene that I think gets swept under the carpet behind Pearl Jam and Nirvana and guys like that. Which I mean, granted, those bands are very revolutionary; they're very important. But Allison Chains. If you go back and listen to their first couple albums, they those are just as good, if not better, than any I would I would say in my opinion than anything Pearl Jam or Nirvana put out in that era as well. Allison Chains tremendously underrated and a band that we didn't get to really see grow into themselves because obviously their singer Lane Staley passed away uh, due to addiction. But but Jerry Cantrell, the guitar player, backup singer, Allison Chains wrote the song Rooster about his dad who was in the Vietnam War, right? And if you listen to the lyrics, it's it's about how this young kid who's just gotten married goes off to war and how real it is. And then they come home and it's not the way they thought it was going to be. You know, they have people who who uh, are opposed to the war. So they called, you know, they, they look down on them for what they did when they're just a young kid trying to figure out their life, you know. And Tim Kennedy comes out to this song, which is obviously deeply personal to him. You know, he's a he's a Green Beret. He's a sniper. He's been in action. You know, this guy's seen actual battles and he comes out to this deeply personal song song about uh this guy who's been in war you know and and is coming back and he timed it so fucking perfectly and tim kennedy's a bright guy i'm just not i've never been a huge fan of him as a fighter you know i'm just not uh, i i respect him i know he's great uh but he timed it really well because if you guys are familiar with the song which dan i know you're i know you're familiar with the song but he timed it perfectly where he gets to the cage and before he walks in the cage he spreads his arms out and he turns around to the crowd right when that song fucking kicks in oh oh yeah you know we ain't gonna die and like oh my god dude that play it gives me fucking chills just thinking about it uh and he he uh he went out and had a, a crazy fight with yoel romero that night but but that that i think is the most fitting personal walkout song that I can think of and again I'm not this crazy you know everything's the best just because it has the words military or army in it but but Tim Kennedy coming out to a song that I think is a very uh, poignant song if you read the lyrics and you know you know the backstory of it uh, this guy who's seen combat action he's coming out to him man it's a I mean it's a fight what's the worst that can happen he's been shot at you know he's been he's been in 
actual wars. So like it, it's crazy to me, man. I, I'm I'm literally I have goosebumps right now just thinking about it. So that's my number one. Man, I'll be honest. This didn't I, I I didn't have this on my honorable mention. Not because it's not worthy, or on my list. Not because it's not worthy. I just forgot about it. But I yeah. I was forced to remember two things. One, I was forced to remember this one because Tim Kennedy hasn't fought in a minute, but he fought at UFC 206. So. Um, he hasn't fought since I've been doing doing the the breakdowns and you know analyst gig over there at mixedmartialanalyst dot com and so I got to run Tim Kennedy through the comb and of course you know at the end of the study at, at least up till two oh six his last fight before then was what was Jordan mm-hmm. talking about one seventy eight fights Yoel Romero and I remember that the timing I didn't catch the timing before it was awesome but I probably didn't catch the timing before because I was in conversation to somebody who probably, if they were on this episode, would have it on their top five as well. And I don't want to speak for them, but that is probably the only person who's been on this show more than Jordan Killian is my man Brian Schoonover from the After Party Edition. Me and Brian, as you know, best buds. We're both singers of band, former singers of bands, both music buffs. So I remember when this was coming out, and he was just going off like, he's like, I love this fucking entrance. Like, we were talking about, you know, he's, he was explaining the lyrics, which I was familiar with, but it was just one of those things where like, yeah, oh, that makes sense. Tim Kennedy will walk out to it now that you mention it. And uh, the dynamic there, and and just 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 kind of almost exclaiming, just like we've seen it before. Like I think the first time I, I saw it and remember seeing it was probably his fight versus Rafael Natal. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was kind of cool too because you had the atmosphere of the troops, which made for it awesome. Right, but. It was. It's also a short walkout on those fight for the troops things. For this one, it was in the MGM. Like Tim actually had the time to do what you were talking about. He actually had the yeah. time to time it, and we were just. I remember both just admiring, our the brilliance of it, and we were like, "Oh, this is perfect! Like, this is a really good fucking walkout." And I don't want to speak for my buddy Brian, but I'm pretty sure he would be right with you and having this right up there high on his list. Yeah, and you know what else? I think this is a good example of a slower song being intimidating. Yeah. Like it's hard to do that. It's hard to do a slow paced song and be intimidating. But man, that song builds, and it's in these. It's the guitar's got this weird, almost chorus effect on it, and it, it sounds like you're listening to it underwater, almost like you're hiding from someone, and they're they're telling you about. Like the song tells a story, and it's it's almost like ominous sounding. And then when that song fucking kicks in, and like you feel it in your chest, and it's I, I think this is one of the few examples of a slow song still being intimidating rather than you know something up in your face and and getting going yeah and if you you know and again this is a song that's been like played on radio like you should be yeah. familiar with this song and you should know this song it's a good song and it was a good song before i got an mma you know what i'm saying but whether you like tim kennedy or not you chances are you probably associate the song with him right but yeah Great stuff, man. I'm going to pull up some um, submissions in transition right now, and we'll wrap this up with our honorable mentions. Sound good? Yep. All right. I'm going to pull this up for a second. This is a really – oh, man. This is a real blast of an episode, man. All right. We're going to pull up – going to go Twitter first and then um, Facebook. I don't think we got anything on Instagram. Instagram has been a little slow to pick up, but if you want to follow us there, again, it's the same as our Twitter, at uh, the PYM Podcast on Instagram. And, yes, on Facebook, the same thing. Facebook.com backslash uh, the PYM podcast or Protect Your Neck podcast, and it should uh, show up for you. All right, we had uh, Keith McKenna, like we said from MMA Latest News. Shout out to Keith at Keith McKenna. Um, forever, we'll say at Asling Daily Zombie entrance uh, for, for his list, and we covered that beautifully. And uh, along with McGregor at UFC 189, two greatest I've experienced live. That's right. Keith was also at, uh, not just at 200 with me, but he's also at UFC 189. 
great, great, great stuff there by uh, by O'Keefe. And uh, and yeah, you already mentioned those. One of them was on your list, even. But the the McGregor one, it cared away in on those. That was the first. That's worth mentioning because that was the first UFC live band entrances, right? It was just affliction before that, right, Jordan? Yeah, you know what? I I hate to say this. I'm sure it was different being there. So I, I think being there probably gave it an extra oomph. But I actually – I personally sitting at home liked McGregor's recorded intro better than the live one. Uh, yeah, I, I think the – and the same thing with Mendez, man. I, I don't think it was a, a, a great a great uh, intro for him either. But I, I, I totally get being an Irishman, being there, having it live. I'm sure that is a crazy experience. For sure. All right. Well, I'm going to jump to uh, Facebook. Um, Jeff Held. He, he's got one of my honorable mentions. This is this is my honorable mention from, from the Bellator side of thing. He says, Caveman David Rickles, number one. No one yeah, close. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one, man. <laughs> and that is a good one. Whether you like it or think it's the stupidest thing, you have to give him credit because he went fucking, you know, you, you, they say you never go full retard to quote uh, Tropic Thunder. He went, Dave yeah. Rickles went full retard, right, Jordan? Absolutely. Yeah, he comes up with a dinosaur and a big club <laughs> over his shoulder. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, how can you how can you not go full after that? All right, uh, Kate Trombley, um, BJ Penn's walkout is iconic, as are Favors and Vanderlei Silva's. All three of those statements are Good ones. true. Yeah, great ones. Uh, yeah, I, fa- actually, did, did they say Faber? That's a great one I didn't yeah, think of, actually. Yeah, Faber's is fa- California Love, that's a perfect one. Yeah, that, that that should definitely be honorable mention for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and a definite top five if we're just you know narrowing it down to fighters for having one song and that being their theme. I mean, right. That's, that's a synonymous yeah. one. She also says, I give Mayhem Miller and King Mo honorable mentions yeah. for a memorable fact, the memorable factors there. Sure. Uh, my man Aaron Fisher, I like this. He's got number five, King Mo. I remember King Mo started his career in Sengoku coming out with like yeah. chicks and a crown. And uh, he is number four, Mayhem Miller. Number three, Yoshihiro Akiyama. I like number two and one. They're on my honorable mentions list, Jordan. Let me tell tell me if they were on yours. But these guys are legends as far as Japanese showmanship. He is number two, Akihiro Gono. And oh, one, Gono Gen- had a great one. Oh, yeah. And number Genki one, Sudo. Genki Sudo. Yep, you knew it. You yeah. know it. Yep. You got any Gono or Sudo ones that jump out to you that you like in particular? Uh, they have a lot, obviously. Sudo, but... su- Sudo was the one I scratched to put in uh, to put in Brock Lesnar. So yeah, I, uh, I I have him on my honorable mentions. Like Sudo is one of those guys where you could argue the number one spot, and many people will give it to him. But again, mm-hmm. this was a guy like it was kind of just before my time, so I probably right. I missed all Same the here. I missed all the like usually I at least like have at least a couple live experiences from my option at least for this kind of a topic. And yeah, Suda didn't have a Gono man. Gono, uh, my favorite Gono one that almost made the list I had was the UFC '94 against John Fitch, where he comes out in drag with yeah, his. Uh, with I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> they're giving their high yeah. fives to the audience, and they're all dragged up in dresses. <laughs> uh, all right, Blake B. Borgino is Lee Murray when he comes out like Hannibal Lecter. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot about that's that. That's old school. That was before my time, but that, that's a good one. Um, Akiyama. Is he in prison still? I think so. Isn't he supposed to be out soon? I, I should really look that up. I, I'm just surprised uh, Guy Ritchie know, didn't do gonna, a movie yet. Yeah, he's probably going to try to get another fight with Anderson Silva, so who knows? Actually could be appropriate now, sadly. Uh, Mayhem <laughs> Miller and his ladies. Okay, we covered that one. Robbie Lawler and the Death Stare. <laughs> sure. There we go. And uh, Lawler, Lawler's on my uh, my honorable mentions coming out, but mine's specific. It's when he started coming out to uh, Sam and Dave's "Hold On, I'm Coming." Like, oh, cause great. that's like, oh, cause that's like, and not only is it a badass song, but it's like, oh shit, 
He's he's telling you, hey, hold on, I'm coming, I'm coming to beat that ass. So yep, and it's a classic song where it was like of an era where you wouldn't expect a fighter to have as a walkout song now. Right, much but it's a tough walkout song, badass. Right? And the fact that the most toughest death cold Bob Lawler stare is coming out to that song makes it It's like oh shit. That's one of my favorite parts of rewatching that great fight of Robbie Lawler, Roy McDonald is Robbie mm-hmm. Lawler's walkout song, especially knowing the uh, knowing how the right. fight goes. You're just like, oh my goodness. Um, Oklahoma Knowles has Ronda Rousey, Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman underrated. That won me over his his walkout song. And uh, walk back. Down. Tom Petty, yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And you know what, Rousey's a good one because that's that was that one set the tone for. Her man, she came out. She was kind of uh, given the the fucking I don't I'm gonna fuck you up face. She kind of uh, you know what's crazy is like it happened a couple times where the walkouts took longer than the songs. So it's like with Ronda Rousey. So that's one crazy thing. But that's a good one. That's another one where I associate the song with a specific fighter. Yeah, absolutely. And Jersey Mike's also with you on the Brock Lesnar. And uh, last two he has is Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz's classics. Yeah, those are yeah both classics. Yeah. Chuck used to come out to some DMX himself, too, I believe. He did. Yeah, he did. He came out to DMX for a while. That's right. Uh, John John Rico has uh, Diego's March to the Ring with a cross in his hand. That's a classic one. Oh, the Vampire Hunter. Yeah. That was my – Diego the Vampire Hunter, I tried to get a shirt made of that image, and the person was like, is this copyrighted? And I was like, <laughs> nah, just – just make the shirt and they wouldn't do it for me. But yeah, Diego coming out with the, the cross in his hand. I always call it Diego the Vampire Hunter because he's got the cross out in front of him it's screaming, perfect. yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like it's it, – I agree. That is a perfect one. And if we're just going by like uh, – <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say personal favorites but because I feel like I, I – threw some stuff in that was like important and significant but right. if i'm just going like straight up favorites that might be my number one is just diego being an insane person that's awesome dude great great pick there john john rico who also says he always liked aldo's walkouts and and i will give him that aldo always had that his jitteriness not even so much the song it's just kind of that that jittery kind of antsiness you're like oh he's ready yep. to explode look at him look at his hands shaking that was always a cool yep. one and then last one here Wanley Tran Sakuraba is Mario Sakuraba had some cool ones but that one was <laughs> I feel <laughs> like did. I was on that my, one's great I'm like did I eat mushrooms what, what's going on here uh, I, I'm glad <laughs> there we go here's an honorable mention like Tom Waller playing homage to Hulk Hogan and under my honor- that was a very good one. Oh, that was a great one under my honorable mentions I just put Tom Waller and I put all of them with a question mark <laughs> yeah they're, they're all they're all fantastic Tom Waller is hilarious and I, w- I want him to get back into fighting more his Dan Severn one he is my favorite weigh-in if we were doing top five weigh-ins his Dan Severn where he, he, he oh. shoots and takes down his cornerman before he hits the scale it was hilarious yes best. that was great <laughs> that was the best I might have been UFC 102 he has Phil Baroni in general which I agree underrated walkout Phil Baroni um, yeah. Just the, the sunglasses, the this, you know, the leather jacket. Like I, I got to see him in his last UFC walkout at 125, uh, fight Brad Tavares. And of course, I was rooting for Bad Extreme Couture. And by then, you know, Peroni was kind of on his downfall, so you didn't expect much from him. But when that Bad right. to the Bone song hits, and he comes out like going with, with like he's Brett the Hitman Hart with his leather jacket and glasses, and his right. hands out like ah yeah yeah. yeah. Like, you're getting, I was getting pumped. I was like, oh fuck, I'm not even a Peroni yeah. fan. I'm getting stoked for this right now. You're like, I'm about to watch the best ever. Ever. And then, of course, Wanley Tran has Genki Sudo as Buckethead. I like the Genki Sudo oh, yeah. one um, and the same, same same event as Akiyama, that, that, that K1 Dynamite. He does this crazy <laughs> one where it's like the Indian headdress and there's this – Yeah, the headdress and all the people with him and stuff. And one of the better choreographed dances if we're like going to be like you know judging on the choreography yeah. of his dance. It was really well done. And he had yeah. a, a Akihiro Gono as DJ Gozma. I'm not sure which, which Gono one that was, but 
Gono is a solid choice. Yep. All right. Uh, was there any before we get out of here? Was there any things that that weren't mentioned on our list or the submissions and transitions you want to give a quick shout out before we go on your list there? Uh, just re- just real fast, a couple that I always thought were really cool. The uh, Talus latest coming out to Bob Marley, I think, is pretty cool no, um, nice. because I think that's another one that's that's it's more of a like uh, listen. There's bigger problems than I've got coming into this fight, and I know that. So coming out to Don't Worry, like that's it's pretty fucking cool, man. Because if you ever talk to Talos, he's a super chill dude. He's a really laid back guy. So I think Talos coming out to Bob Marley is pretty cool too. And then also it's it's hard to like. <laughs> I feel bad if I was his opponent trying to mean mug him, and this dude's just coming out smiling, listening to Bob Marley. It's like, fuck, how could you be mad at this dude? You know, um, I think that one's great. I also had guys like Sexyama. Uh, I wanted to talk about him. If you didn't, BJ Penn, uh, Robbie Lawler had those all on there. A uh, couple non-specific ones, but Rose Namajunas has come out to run the jewels a couple times, which is fucking great. That she she obviously has some good taste in music. Her and uh, and Pat Berry both because run the jewels, uh, Killer Mike fantastic some of the best uh new hip-hop that's been coming out lately uh that's i don't want to say it's underrated because i think everyone knows every everyone who's into hip-hop knows run the jewels but rose coming out to run the jewels is cool uh condit carlos condit always has a good walkout song he he tends to switch it up Uh, i think his interests are cool but he he often comes out to Rage Against the Machine or Tool, just something that's like, fuck yeah, man. Like, he's always coming out to cool shit. Uh, and then the, the number one that I really wanted to put on there for really selfish reasons was when Fabricio Verdum came out to the last The Mohicans theme song because I've always thought that that's the coolest fucking music. And I'd wanted to, if I was good at editing video, I would always make a, I've always wanted to make a highlight video and put that music behind it because I think it's so fucking epic 100%. and it builds up. But, uh, yeah, Verdum came out to it and it was fucking awesome. So uh, th- that's that's all I've got, dude. I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you you brought up that Verdum one and um, another one. Uh, yeah, someone else on here. I'm trying to find him now, but someone said some old school Carlos Condit. Uh, Rage Against the Machine can never go wrong, especially you know you're talking about Arco Arena yep. or those smaller WEC event arenas. When I would you know first got on who Carlos Condit was, that was badass. Uh, excuse me. Little burps. I had a little bit of. I was sipping on a nice Wolf Putt Session IPA, Golden Road from L.A. Yeah, a little man. shout out to that brewery. But um, but yeah, uh, just a couple. I'll run down. Matt Brown's UFC 198 entrance because he fought the crowd on his way out. That was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. This is kind of underrated one of recent time, especially Reebok era. It's so rare to find any. But um, Alistair Overeem and the Rotterdam versus Arlovsky, that headlining event. He had a badass intro. If you remember, they had the the Dutch national anthem or whatever. And then it goes into that house music cool. where he's running in and the bum, 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 bum. It was just, oh, it was so epic. Like, it really, it, it, it had that pride feel to it almost, too, you know? And that was a really underrated, I yeah. feel, uh, ring entrance. Um, other ones, uh, the best one, I think, of the Reebok era where you can't, you know, the creativity is so limited. But the best one, it actually almost made my list, is Jorge Masvidal coming out to fucking Scarface. Oh. That is just it's the awesome. shit. It's so yeah. perfect. You want to talk great. about perfect for the character, right? Fucking love that dude. Oh yeah. yeah. So I know me. I mean, you are both Masvidal fans. Um, of course, the Gro- the Gracie train, right? Hoist Gracie. That's yeah. a classic yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. A definite yep. honorable mention. Um, and I have the song here, Shogun. But Shogun's early UFC because there was still even amongst jaded hardcores, you were like, Pride's pretty much dead. We're not getting Fedor or whatever. These guys aren't the same. They, they, all their, you know, remember the performances weren't adding up when they went over to the UFC. It was kind of that era. Yeah. And even Shogun had some yeah. really bad performances. He had a bad performance against Coleman, and he lost to Forrest. To Forrest. But after that, I remember he turned it up, and he was coming yeah. out to that house music. That it was one of those times which cliche 
as it sound, it really made me. It was the only time where it really made me feel like Pride Never Die, and that was Shogun right. when he would come out to sail by Armin Van Buren. Like that yeah. was just oh, that was that's just an awesome song. Like it's very shoot box. It's very Shogun. I can't explain it, but just go listen to it. And then the, la- the last one of my honorable mention, one of my favorites. I, I for, for some reason it was burning in my head that it was a Demo Borgia song, but it was actually Death yeah. Clock. And that's Camden fucking McCurry, Camden McCurry. at I UFC ninety one. Yeah. Brock Lesnar versus Couture, and he opened the main card where it was really random that he got the main card opening spot against Dustin Hazlett. And this is Camden McCurry one seventy when he's still balding somehow. Even though he's yeah. super young, but he's wearing glasses and he looks super <laughs> nerdy. And I'm watching with a group that are primarily nerdy metalheads, so they're watching for Brock Lesnar and all the big names. Even the more hardcore amongst us weren't really like, "Who's Tamron McCrory?" Even at this time, right? And right. here he comes out to the Death Clock, the metal, like the first guy to come out for the main card, right? Thunder Horse. I Thunder remember Horse. It. Yes, that's it. The song Thunder Horse, and everybody loses their shit. Like Tamron McCrory became a like the hero of like 90% of the room I was watching in the metal heads. They were just like, what? A fucking nerdy balding guy with glasses that just looks like he shouldn't be there is coming out. Like anybody can do this. And we, even when he <laughs> lost the fight, like we were so behind him. And that ring entrance has made like Tammy McCrory a thing of legends, even though his career didn't really pan out um, too much after that and had a weird gap. But yeah. yeah. I, I have one more I just thought about that I think would be really stupid if I watched it on TV, but it was cool because I was there. When I went down to Tennessee to watch Sam fight, uh, the main event that night was Glover Teixeira and Ovin St. Prue. And St. Prue's a Tennessee guy, right? He played football at the University of Tennessee. So his uh, the front row where the fighters are coming out is all his college teammates, right? Yeah. Like it's all these University of Tennessee guys. They're all wearing Tennessee orange, right? And so the lights go out and you hear this, this drumming just – and it plays the fucking University of Tennessee fight song, right? And so, like, everyone in the crowd knows the words, so they're all singing it. It's like, you know, Rocky Top or whatever the fuck it is. And it's just horns. It's like you would hear a marching band. It sounded like a marching band was playing. And it was so cheesy, but it was fucking cool to be there and hear, you know, all these thousands of people singing the fucking fight song and, like, cheering at the same time. And St. Prue's, like, high-fiving all this fucking teammates and shit it was it was pretty cool to be there but i feel like if i watched that one on tv i'd be like this is kind of fucking lame i actually remember that though yeah yeah because I, I have to go back and watch that fight a couple times whether i'm studying ovens or, or uh, glover to who i believe he fought that yep. night so yeah yep. i've definitely seen that uh two more quick ones before we get out of here uh chris cash at cash dpt7 diaz brothers coming out to the deftones i saw this uh, yeah this out there that was a good yeah. one and then uh um Downriver top team. He second deal on the Frankie Edgar one, but he specified it. He said the third fight with Maynard. He says, I know he does it all the time, but that this one seemed different. That's true. I mean, that was a that was a big fight, man. That was a huge fight, so it probably felt different for him. Awesome. Well, man, this has been awesome going to the time machine, Jordan. Thanks for sticking around and having a late night. And uh, well, at least I kicked a few back and we, we went back in time. So that was it. Was, it's been fun, man. I'm going to give a quick couple shout outs here. Uh, first to uh, Kyle Steele. Uh, I, I didn't make a public bet with him, but it was great seeing a bunch of people um, have to give him credit for his Guida pick. And since I was high on Coke, uh, Eric Coke, that is, not <laughs> cocaine, uh, even though I didn't make the bet with Kyle, I'll, I'll gladly give the guy a shout out. And you were on his podcast, uh, Loud, uh, Loudmouth MMA, recently, weren't you, Jordan? 
Yeah, check it out. I just won. I just went and fucking dominated as a uh, as a guest. So they're gonna have me back on to take on Brian Caraway. So oh shit, my man B Brian Caraway. Oh no, my two <laughs> friends are gonna go at each other. That's awesome. Well, shout out to Kyle. Um, shout out to the guys from Junkie Radio. It was on the show recently this week, and uh, those guys are always awesome. Inviting me on to to, to to shoot the breeze with them, and um, just a random shout out here. I won't get too deep into it, but I just want to give a shout out to my man uh, Dwayne Finley. Um, uh. Just uh, just giving you love, brother, some positive energy. Uh, everything's going well, I'm sure, but I know some, some some months with loss can be tougher than others, so I just wanted to give a personal shout-out there to my man, Dwayne Finley. Um, other than that, man, before we get out of here, do you want to plug anything that's going on? Please plug your podcast at least, sir. Yeah, just listen to the Pound for Pound podcast. It's out every week. Uh, we just had a new episode drop tonight. Uh, you can search for it on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. It's the Pound for Pound podcast. You can find us on Facebook uh, or on Twitter uh, at P4PCast. Uh, yeah, check it out. Me and Sam Alvey, we get some guests on there. It's a good time. Yep. Always one of my favorite podcasts. Love you. Love Sam. Definitely worth the listen, folks. And um, until next time, I guess you can just, you know, find us at the usual places. Submit using hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast for your top five list questions, top five theme ideas on Twitter at the PYM Podcast. I'm on Twitter at the MM Analyst. If you want to find us on Facebook or Instagram, we just started those accounts. The likes and follows are appreciated. We won't spam your feed. I'm just trying to put things in the appropriate areas. And yes, of course, the numbers definitely help. So go ahead on Instagram at the PYN Podcast or on Facebook at the PYN Podcast. Go ahead and give us a like. Every little helps a lot. We won't be back till next week, but it's International Fight Week here in Vegas, baby. Tough 25 finale in UFC. You, You excited, Jordan? Fuck yeah, dude. All right, I'm fucking stoked. I'm working on the breakdowns right now. I'll have breakdowns next week at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. You know the place. You know where you can find us here on iTunes, archived at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. But go ahead and give us those five-star reviews if you want to give you know positive energy and love for free. That's the best way to support. Oh, well, second best way. The best way is telling your friends, telling your wife, telling your kids. Nah, not really the last two, but just tell some friends who are in MMA. How about that? And uh, they can avoid the shit stories and autoerotic asphyxiation stories. we got a lot of crazy crap we throw here. We throw your way here at the Protect Your Neck Podcast. But as always, I appreciate it. Watch out when trying to choke yourself for pleasure. Be careful when you jump into a time machine. Always respect the samurai. And until next time, protect your neck. Protect your neck.